Good morning, class. Welcome to Art Eater Podcast number 23, uh, 2.0. Um, okay, so t- today's recording is a little bit unusual. Um, it's actually, right now, it is uh, what, January 10th, uh, uh, 2021. And um, what happened was we, we actually had recorded podcast number 23, oh man, like months ago now, the, uh, part three of the Darkstalkers uh, podcast series. Um, and it was an epic, amazing, incredibly rambling, even for us, podcast. Um, but uh, tragedy struck and the, the recording was somehow uh, just got mangled. Uh, we, we couldn't recover it. So we're re-recording it. And, um, you know, we're back and uh, maybe we'll be more focused this time. Can't make any promises. But, um, yeah, looking forward to uh talking about this uh re-recording it and talking about dark dark stalkers again because it is just always a pleasure to talk about this game series right so uh to recap this is um our third podcast about the uh, dark stalkers uh games um we recorded two others uh the first one was uh, you know about the very first Darkstalkers game and um, just the the context that it was created, just what a big deal it was in terms of uh, its uh, graphical anim- and animation leaps forward. Uh, we followed that up talking about um, Vampire Hunter, the follow-up game. Uh, talked about the gameplay and new characters, and then today we're going to talk about the third installment of Darkstalkers, which is Vampire Savior. And um, oh man, awesome game! Super excited uh, to be here with everyone and to talk about this game that all of us love very much. Uh, so I'm I'm the your host uh, Richmond. I'm the founder of uh, ArtEater.com. Uh, uh, here with my co-host Sean. Sean. Wanna... Hello. I'm Sean. Um, always here. <laughs> yeah. And um, sure, I can go through other things like when we, we close out the podcast. But uh, hello. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for always being here and always taking charge of the uh, recordings and just making sure everything works. All right. Um, until, until the recording gets mangled, man, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> no, dude, that totally. That, that, no one could have accounted for that. Um, anyways, yeah, uh, uh, everyone else, please, please uh, quickly introduce yourselves, and then we'll get right into the game. All right. Uh, this is uh, James Stanley back uh, once again. Uh, I am a freelance storyboard artist comic artist, writer, illustrator, all the, all these things. Uh, and I am heavily inspired by games like Vampire Savior and, you know, Capcom 90s uh, era stuff. Um, and uh, I'm a huge fan of these games competitively, so uh, I, I love to talk about gameplay and all these intricate things that uh, people use in tournaments. So I'm definitely honored to talk about this beautiful, timeless game. Hey, I'm Thomas. I'm back again to talk about painting games. I'm the webmaster for Artiter.com, and uh, I'm a web and um, yeah, fighting and player for 20 years. I do podcasts and articles about them. So glad to be here again for this second time on Vampire Savior. It's gonna be great. <laughs> hey, everybody. Yeah, hey everyone, um, Adam Atis here. I'm a 24-year-old um, independent game developer from Manchester, England. I specialize in game and level design, pixel art, and I'm also an international Taekwondo fighter as well. It's a pleasure to be here once again and to have another you know, fun discussion among good friends and other great listeners. 
if you have a fun time listening to anything or if you enjoy anything that I say, you can check me out on Twitter. I go by at AJ Mattis, A-J-M-A-T-T-I-S. Thanks for listening, and yeah, let's dive right in. Okay, so first things first, let's talk about the new characters, because that's that's what really, you know, defined this game uh, for me, and I think in, in the minds of a lot of fans, and... Of course, we gotta start with Jetta. Uh, just one oh. of the best, one of the coolest, coolest, most badass characters uh, that Capcom has ever made. So, um, and I think last time we, we, we had a battle royale to see who was the biggest Jetta super fan, and uh, James clearly, <laughs> clearly was the I king know. of the hill. No, no. James, was, James was the most horny of all the fans. That's not the same. That's not the same. <laughs> It's, it's very appreciation. Yeah, in his own it's, words it's a, it's a very different uh, <laughs> appreciation for for such a beautifully violent well-constructed character uh you know from the moment that uh i saw a description of the character before i even saw pictures when this game was new uh i was super interested in jetta and then you know the moment that you see this character on screen, uh, you know, the fact that it's voiced by Ishin Chiba, uh, just so many just beautiful things going for, for this character, uh, just in, in its appearance. Uh, you know, I mentioned before, it's, the character is just beautifully violent. Like, all, all the moves are, uh, you know, some sort of self-mutilation, uh, all wrapped up in this uh, very uh, svelte, tall, uh, in type of character, which you know, seems like a a glaring like you know uh contrarian opposite but uh you know when you put these things together you know jetta has a a very strong cadence and appearance that is unrivaled really um in fighting games especially especially at this point um you know he's got a bit of an interesting story uh you know he's a very shrewd well-spoken nobleman of the home dimension makai uh and he's doing everything in his power to uh, make sure it doesn't fall into the wrong hands, uh, you know, specifically with uh, Belial, which I believe is uh, Morgan's father. Uh, you know, so he plotted to assassinate him. Um, you know, after his death, unfortunately, uh, Ozom actually betrayed him. Uh, but at this point, you know, Jetta just says, you know what, I'm just going to basically collect all the souls of the world and I'm going to usher in a new era. So you have a, a blood soaked Bishonen character just running around, like, causing <laughs> havoc. And I'm here for it, and clearly horny for it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's he's just he's just an amazing character. Um, just looking at him, you know, um, idle animation, everything about the character is just like uh, at this time something that has never been seen before in a fighting game. And I was very much into that. So Jet is actually the last boss of the game, right? Yes, yes, and has one of the most amazing intros uh ever of a final villain boss of any fighting game what? don't at me <laughs> this is a billion percent true yeah. like you will want to marry him when you hear the chorus and him saying that he is the beginning and the end it is the best intro ever for a final boss and yet he's oh, only six thousand years old <laughs> beginning the end. yeah i know right <laughs> what kind of skincare James is like, fight me! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yeah, we, we should talk about the fact that he's, um, uh, you know, of, oh, you said he was kind of lean, and that's true, but he has a large torso, he has a, 
his head also has a very strange shape somehow and uh like with the with the antennas like do, do, have you seen those eyebrows like oh he has he has uh you, like you like like Majin Kaiser, like Gundam <laughs> eyebrows. Uh, he's he's got all these interesting focal points within his shape language, and if you look at the art for him originally, you know Bengus, you know, he gives people a bit more volume, but there was still a bit of a tapering in the uh, the silhouette of his design, and it allows a lot of those shapes to uh, communicate in different ways while still being a cohesive composition. Um, and I feel like in the sprite, and he's a little bit leaner than the art, but those same shaped languages are spoken with, uh, you know, his composition. And, and it's shapes that you wouldn't think would work together. So it just creates this very interesting uh, uh, presence. Uh, you know, even when you look at his idol animation, which it, it's the only person I can think of that has something similar to this, at least, is uh, Yamazaki in CBS2. It's very idle. Uh, sort of composed uh, like presence where you know he's ready but he's relaxed uh, and I, with Jetta the difference I, I think he's floating a little bit so there's like a sort of ethereal kind of like feeling and you just see like blood just kind of dripping he's, off he's, of him but back into him he's got that drip uh, literally yeah the literal, the, drip. The literal drip the literal <laughs> drip yeah. it's like, I mean like another um, you know character with a lot of that kind of drip it's just, it's just the fact that, like, when you look at Jedi, you actually end up thinking about, like, you know, like, Akira like, Fudo, like, the supernatural form from, like, Devilman, like, from going against yeah. Devilman. Like, you get a lot of those, like, just similar vibes, like, and they, they ooze that kind of, like, stylistic uh, consistency. It's very cool with the shape language, like James mentioned, so, yeah, I just want to throw that in there. It's very yeah. interesting to see these parallels for, like, you know, supernatural devil characters with the horns and the kind of Y-shaped head, in a sense. Like, it's very interesting. Yeah, let's, uh... Oh, yeah. Let, his, let, let's his, uh, yeah good his wings also the inside of his wings are, are blades basically that are the the, the same tone as his uh, skin but they, they they look very threatening the, 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 you, you met this guy at midnight midnight in the street you know you you don't feel super great you don't, yeah. you don't feel good <laughs> but uh, what I like too is that he's like you know wearing a jacket but it looks like the jacket is actually his skin because it's so tight on him. So that's uh, there's a lot of a lot of things going on. His color, the, the color too, is uh, almost like a priest color, which is very surprising when you look at the guy. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of things going on there. It's like either priest or like Japanese uh, schoolboy outfit tailored yeah. by Balenciaga. <laughs> There's well, some... you mentioned a lot, James, the the shonen aspect of it. Sorry, sorry, Richmond, go ahead. Yeah, um, I, I just want to say, like, there's so much going on with Jetta, like so many design elements and callouts to like different things that you'd think it wouldn't work, but it comes together so cohesively. It's so cohesive. I mean, the instant you look at him, you 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 kind of get it all, even though it, it, you you feel it all, but you don't. You, you got to take some time to even like be like, wow, how do I, why am I feeling all this? And then you, you can hone in on the particular elements and, um, you know, start piecing it together. It's, it's like the epitome of just excellent uh, Capcom design. Like, uh, yeah. let, let's, He's I mean... So yeah, let's get into say the the shonen aspect of it. Go, go for it. Well, so um, we're we're talking about his jacket. Uh, that's one where uh, Richmond's actually uh, very very correct. Like you can kind of isolate different elements. So 
I, I might pass back to yours because I remember last time and uh, there's some really great pictures of if you, I think the initial reference is the double button going down, uh, the, the kind of the Nosferatu feel um, that he has, especially from the older films. Yeah, yeah. So, so Nosferatu is a, a very old uh, German horror film released in 1922. It's it's one of the earlier uh, vampire films, and it, it's it's the one where the vampire is not like handsome and and svelte. It's it's the bald dude with like the goblin ears and the crooked teeth and the very long fingers, which which Jetta shares. Um, and then his jacket is uh, very similar to to what uh, Jetta is wearing, actually. Well, especially the, uh, the, the, you kind of mentioned how it kind of feels like skin, the, the buttons connecting, but then there's like also, um, the way that his, his wings fall behind him and the way that it drapes is much more of like a, a, a Victorian noble style jacket. Cause, um, I'm sure y'all are aware, uh, just like many boss characters in Darkstalkers, Jetta is better than all of you <clears throat> because, uh, cause he is. And part of that is like the way he carries himself. And then the last piece of it is. James mentioned it's like very Bishonen is that reference to the um, I believe it's I might pronounce it wrong the the, the Gorokan kind of style of um, I don't know if it's fully a Japanese uniform um, or if it, it goes to other kind of uh, Southeast Asian uh, types of parochial school and stuff like that but if you've watched any anime with someone that's in high school usually male you've seen that kind of black button down um, suit yeah yeah of course mm-hmm yeah, it has like the, the the basic conventions of uh, you know what what works uh, with that, along with all of the, the incredibly intricate uh, shape language and influences, uh, you know, from horror and it, it, like like which Richmond was saying before, you know, listing all these things on paper seems like it would just be like a, a, a just a chaotic casserole of just nonsense, but uh, yeah there's a lot of careful craft into uh, making all of these things work in a way that normally someone would look at this and say, you know, these are all great ingredients as standalone, but to put them together would be like an arduous task that would almost be impossible, but uh, mm. it just we're, comes to... to hmm? Oh, like we're, we're only talking about his suit. We're, not, we're leaving out so much, like there's so much more going on. Yeah. yeah. And there's, yeah. A, there's a couple of, it's, it's weird that they have like kind of a influence from, of course, like a vampire kind of lore, but then to uh, kind of what James said as well, uh, not James, I'm sorry, Thomas was saying, uh, also the, that particular type of suit has a very similar collar to what a priest would wear yep. uh, in terms of how it buttons up to the top. Then the, the double buttons are both referential of Nosferatu as well as the kind of plague doctor uh, outfits that were used uh, kind of in, uh, I guess it was the late century when uh, obviously uh, play was happening. So there's a lot of references there in, in terms of how Jeff thinks of himself, but also uh, the fact that he is related to death, uh, or at least he's influenced by being a god of death, right? Um, is he in the lore, actually, James? Is he, is he is he actually a god of death? I don't remember. He becomes one uh, in 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 his own way. He's 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 like he's like the IRS in collecting people's souls. So. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's in his he, moveset. Yeah, 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 yeah. He has the uniform of the IRS. You know, they they, they look like yeah. this when they come to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you knock on the door, they have a giant weapon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when when everybody in the world is paying you, you can afford tailor-fitted suits by Balenciaga. 
can <laughs> you can afford these things. So by the yeah. way, if if a, if a listener knows where I can buy, you know, those uh, teenager Japanese suits, uh, please tell me because I want one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so please dial up Thomas at, at at the at the appropriate web zone. He needs that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those I believe those are called yeah Gakuran. I believe. Yeah, yeah. they look really mm. cool. Like I like the way that um for example, his entire look and aesthetic. He looks so like pristine and proper. All of his body looks all you know clean and like it's all you know prim and proper. But then as soon as he starts fighting, he starts just like cutting himself up and like you know using his blood and he fights in a really kind of messy and grotesque and gruesome and disgusting way. Yeah. But it's like as soon as he's done you know bleeding everywhere, he just goes right back to being all pristine and clean and you know you know what I mean. Like it's a very interesting uh, dynamic that he's got there. It's very strange. And, and he looks. Like, and, and he looks at the that there's a pose after he attacks where he, he smiles or look back at, at his arms you know coming back to life or things like that he's watching and he's actually like having fun yeah he's enjoying and himself, hurting yeah. you yeah, he's yeah. and he's got that laugh that he has <laughs> the best laugh ever and as someone who plays characters who laugh that's like a thing like I play Yori I play Rolento uh, Zeta's laugh is probably the best laugh in any fighting well, game. Can, can like, you elaborate on who provided that laugh? Uh, well, his laugh is provided by Isin Chiba, um, who is an amazing voice actor that, uh, honestly, I don't know how he does this, but uh, he, he creates this feeling of, of literally being like the god of death, but also... Uh, a mysteriously sexy man like i don't know how you can like put all these things together but yeah. uh but, but uh, who, who's it, a famous character that maybe the viewers would recognize that this person has played yeah, oh those. oh oh you're talking you know, about mr road roller himself yep. uh dio yes um mm -hmm. uh, another uh, amazing uh possessor of vocal cords that only one man could give to them <laughs> like uh, you know, it's it's yeah, it's very fitting that uh, Dio and Jetta share the same voice actor. Uh, I feel like when I when I think of when I think of Dio, all I imagine is that you know that pose where he's got like both of his arms upwards and he's just got that cackling anime face. Oh, the the reface, the repose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, there were yeah the, the 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 classic pose that even people like humans can't actually do properly. We all still try. <laughs> our best to uh, to bend our vertebrae and to to to, to tap into the our inner Dio, but uh, yeah, yeah, he voice acted Dio and he also voice acted Jetta. Yeah, and, that's a um, very deliberate choice. I mean, like Dio definitely yeah. informed this character too. You know, the whole like uh, last boss Dio is a vampire. Dio also, you know, is very blood oriented, right? Yes. Um, and Dio is a man who really enjoys himself. He he enjoys what he does. Um, I think what's interesting to note too, just is uh, the animation for Jetta. Jetta is, I mean, Vampire Savior is a CPS2 game, and you know the JoJo's games that Capcom made were CPS3. And what's interesting to me is that like, even within CPS2, I feel like the personality and the feel of Jetta's animation is akin to uh, Dio from Jojo like like you know you put those sprites together like that feeling is still like similar in some way uh 
Yeah, he's got a lot of beautiful, even his idle animations, there's a lot of subtle things going on with the blood dripping, but he's actually occasionally smiling at you. Uh, which is like, you know, the sprites are pretty small, uh, you know, in terms of what was done on TPS2, but just the, 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 the subtleties of like feeling his personality ooze out of him just standing there. Again, it's a character that just stands there and looks cool. Hey, and he's Rose got his hands this. in his pockets. Like, it's not a yeah, fighting stance. I wanted to talk about it. He has, mm -hmm. he has, a giant, he has giant ass hands. Yeah, they're and humongous. And they disappear into his, po his pocket. And when he moves forward or backward, even when he's flying, he has hands in his pocket and he doesn't care. That's yeah. so fun. That's so fun. One of my favorite things about the character is the fact that, like, he doesn't actually use any, like, traditional, like, punches or kicks either. Like, mm. all of his special moves, which are all, like, Italian named as well, which is really cool. Like, a Dante's Inferno type type beat. Very, very cool. But, um, they all involve, like, self-mutilation in some way. Like, they all involve using his blood as, like, a weapon itself. Like, he doesn't fight in a normal way at all. But, like, it's so interesting just to see how creative he is with his own body, in a sense, and with his blood and stuff. It's, it's a very strange, um, way to fight. And it's a very odd way that you don't really see often in a lot of fighting games. But it really does work for not only just this character, but for a series like this. And the way that they've been able to show that, you know, him beheading himself, yeah. using his hands from his arms to strike an opponent, uh, extending his fingertips into like really long claws and dripping with blood. Like, do you know what I mean? Like dr ripping someone underground and then like stamping them into a giant blood contract. Like, it sounds so silly and zany, but like for him it works and it seems serious as well and scary. It's yeah. very, very interesting. Yeah. Oh man, it's it's just amazing how they pulled it off. He he feels like a magician, like performing like tricks. It's oh, that's a really good way to think about it. Well, especially because he has um, the, the uh, one thing we were kind of talking. I just wanted to mention, especially if people haven't really watched him. Like his, he has kind of a momentum to him that I I think makes him scary as a boss. But that like to the um, yeah, like even his grab has that very um. I'm gonna call it that very Elena feel, where like you don't feel like it hit you, or you don't feel like you can properly counter it. Uh, the one where it like he grabs, he like basically back, like, goes backwards and claws you, in, and then it pulls you into a circle, or he flies forward, or and backwards, and then he like transforms his wings into a scythe. Like he's always kind of like kind of floating back and forth, uh, and it's uh, like I said, you never quite know. It's a little off kilter, like you never quite know how to. Uh, block those attacks or how to, to counter them so I don't know I think it's uh, very intentional as character yeah very weird character I, I can't think of any other character that played like him before uh, Jetta they just invented a new type of uh, you know uh, archetype for, for uh, playability yeah there's also the um, we talked about his move but super moves also the one where he, he makes a you sign something with the giant uh, hand made of blood it catches you and punches <laughs> and basically slams you with this and after that he glues you into a, a parchment or something <laughs> like that yeah. like yeah. as if you, you you signed your your own death sentence yeah. because mm -hmm. of this that's yeah. amazing that's yeah. amazing oh I, yeah, that's so it, much it's an amazing on. move i also want i mean to... james is right he's you know the irs eventually collects so yeah <laughs> always Always. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, he's a weirdly bureaucratic feel too. But um, on on top of that, it's just one more JoJo reference. So he he literally has Dio's voice actor and uh, commands his use of blood. But um, visually, he looks a lot more like Jotaro with the uh, the school uniform, 
this seven foot oh, sure tall, yeah. seven foot tall Japanese schoolboy, <laughs> you know, like uh, <laughs> Jed is canonically like seven foot one, um, and just sort of the way he cuts his figure, and even the way his hands are always in his pocket, it's 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 weirdly a bit like a school punk, even though he's like a regal dude too. So he's almost like Jotaro and Dio mashed up with Devil Man. And, and like Mazinger yeah. and like so many other things but it works it just works yeah it works insanely well yeah. it's it's almost it's almost unfair yeah. uh to have a character be this cool doing absolutely nothing like a mashup of all the coolest characters like uh yeah i, I, I know adam you, you mentioned um uh, akira fudo definitely definitely gonna guy stuff going on here like because he, he you know m m much like uh, morgan he, he's got the devil man like bat wings on his head but but his are very different they're they're longer they have a different feel and then um he, he's got the the you know the mazinger looking like metal wings coming from uh, his lower back um, uh -huh. And then he he also has the Devil Man scars over his shoulders, the the stripes of red yep. right over his shoulders, and it's uh, it just works. <laughs> yeah, it's all right there, like it's it's right in front of your eyes. But, and yeah. it's so funny because one of the true, you know, one of the best things you can see about a character design in my eyes is just the fact that like you can see something that you've seen in another character, but it feels original. Do you know yes. what I mean? Like it feels like it's its whole own character it's its whole own aesthetic and it's just it works on so many different levels just again like for example the fact that he has these move names that are all in italian for example like that one that we were just talking about there with the you know giant um hand grabbing the opponent dripping them in blood and then slamming them into a giant contract that move is called prova di servo and uh, it means servant test basically so it's like it's kind of like you've passed a test to become his own servant and he slams you into the parchment as kind of like a certification of that and then he just takes your soul at the end of it it's very very it's very peak but it, there's so much going on there and it just um yeah it, it just hits all the right notes for me and and so many other people because that's why we love him that's why we love jedda we, we stand jedda yes mm -hmm. oh my goodness um jedda fan cam when that's all i want to know <laughs> big big facts big facts yeah all right um shall we move on let's okay uh one of the other uh, super memorable new characters introduced in this game was uh bb hood so um maybe uh, uh adam do you want to give an introduction to this character okay so right now we're about to talk about one of my favorite fighting game characters of all time all right so bb hood is a human huntress and she goes around the world of Darkstalkers fighting and hunting all different types of monsters and beasts and all different manner of mythical creatures but she does so as a human just with regular weapons guns grenades um bottles of wine uh, that she shoots fire out of all sorts and her design is, is basically focused around the Little Red Riding Hood, as you can tell by the name. The Little Red Riding Hood myth story, basically, where she is a little girl going around the forest and she gets, you know, uh, <laughs> into some trouble, let's say, with a wolf and uh, things go from there. But in this Owen story, she's actually the kind of the antagonist of the uh, Darkstalkers world, in a sense, where she is, in essence, a scary creature because all of the different creatures in that world, they fear being hunted. So it's kind of an interesting, you know, juxtaposition. They flip it on its head in, in essence, where this tiny little human girl 
is actually an incredibly dangerous, you know, monster in the eyes of what we would view as monsters. So it's a little bit cheesy, but it's kind of the humans are the real monsters kind of meme there. But yeah. they really did it. They, they did it so well, though. It's, yeah. Uh, it's interesting, and she's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, just a great character all around. And when you see her, it'll be even better because she's just a little, little um, the blonde girl with a big red hood, and she's got a, she's got what's it, like an Uzi that she pulls out of like, <laughs> yeah. uh, the cleaning basket, like. It's, uh, it's ridiculous and it, it fits right into Darkstalkers. Yeah. That's what's funny is that she has the same role as the 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 last human in the I Am Legend uh, book, not oh. the movie with Will Smith. Yeah. Ah. Because in I Am Legend, like there's a it's a post-apocalyptic uh, novel, horror novel, and uh, the thing is the the um, there's ghouls everywhere, you know, and the, the, this guy is like fighting ghouls in a world where there's vampires, ghouls, and things like that. And we think that you know, during the world book is the good guy because he goes during the day, he, he kills vampires and ghouls while they are sleeping, you know, during the day. And so when the ghouls and vampires wake up at night, they discover the loved ones dead in their beds. Oh, you no. See? And, and so at the end, this guy gets uh, captured and, uh, and executed. But, to them, to for the vampires, like the, the kids, they are watching him and their parents are saying, that's, you, you see, that's the monster that's coming at night to take you if you're not <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and baby, when you, and she, she's basically this, except she's a little blonde girl with a newsy. <laughs> very, very Japanese, if you ask me. <laughs> it's the most studio trigger, like, world building that... I, I remember in this series. It's such a studio trigger thing. Yeah, now that you say it, it's, oh, it, feels, man, yeah. it feels like a movie that studio trigger will pull up. <laughs> yeah, and th- this is like t- 20 years before trigger existed, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She has this energy, yeah. She has the energy of uh, a trigger character. I think um, sure. w- one thing I find really um, just f- interesting about her is uh, just how. Um, it's all an act, right? Like she, she looks yes. very sweet. <laughs> she literally has like butterflies following her, and even like a cute little dog. <laughs> it looks like a uh, Toto, you know, from the Wizard Harry. of Oz. Yeah. yeah, the dog's called Harry. Yeah. Oh, Harry's, is, yeah, yeah. And um, it's, it's all insincere. Like she, she's, she's a monster, but like she, she looks so sweet and cute on the surface, and her moves are all about deception, right? It's, it's, it's because all she's, she's got a whole. Uh, incredible like armament of just stuff like underneath her in her basket and her skirt and um i, th- I think if you do the electric shock on her you see like she's like got all these guns and bullets like she's just totally you know she's like strapped head to toe like uh, and even a, a, a normal moves you know if you're not taking the special moves but uh, and the EV moves like when she does a light punch she 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 takes she takes she ta- is doing the moves of Picking up, picking up a fruit, a fruit from an, a tree and put it, it in a, her basket. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, you're right. Basket. She's picking fruit. <laughs> She's picking fruit and putting it in the basket. Uh, if you're there, you, you take it in the mouth, of course. <laughs> and all mm-hmm. her basic moves like this, they are like this. She's, uh, you know, uh, spinning a little bit and the basket hits you. She's uh, tripping and uh, like she's, um, she, uh, she has, um, she snore. Not she's snoring, not snoring, when she's, uh, ah, 
Uh, as a stone leg kick is like she's uh she has a um, sneezing. Cold. Sneezing. She's sneezing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sneezing, yeah. yeah, it looks like she's an accident. And <laughs> it looks like an accident, but she actually kicks you in the balls. Yeah. So that's yeah. <laughs> that's it. So oh. Oh, everything about her is like this. Yeah. Except when you go for the EV moves where she pulls out the UZ or the mines yes. or things like that. But when she's walking, when she's you know dashing, she. She seems innocent. It's oh, she doesn't point. walk. She skips. Yeah. Yes. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then her back dash. She looks like she's w running away, like uh, all demure, you know. And it, it, yeah, it's crazy. Oh, by the way, um, if if you're listening and you want to see all this, go go to fightersgeneration.com, or just Google Fighters yeah, uh, Generation uh, BB Hood, uh, or whatever I, character we're talking about. I, I wanted to mention. I recall reading somewhere that um, when they when Document designed BB Hood that like before she was animated they didn't know how she would move. <laughs> so <laughs> he also mocked up like gesture sketches or he did quick mock-ups like to create the skipping. Um so, so in a magazine somewhere, I'll see if I can find it to, yeah. for a, a follow-up tweet. But I remember reading that like to your point, like, yeah, <laughs> she looks so innocent. How does she actually move and feel? Yeah. She she's the she's a character that can actually um, move forward while crouching, I think. And when she's yes. doing it, she, you could think that she walks like military style, but no, she she's she's like, <laughs> laying like this, and it's like she's looking at flowers and you know just yeah. advancing slowly. And after that, she has another animation where where she trips on the where, where she trips and why she trips. She pulls up two knives and she plants them <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> That's hilarious. Everything yeah. about that yeah. is incredible. I got it. The, the army crawl thing is one of the funniest animations I, I, I've seen. Because it's it looks so innocent. Like she's oh, on her belly, she's kicking her legs like she's relaxing, like this cute little girl pose, but she's doing like an army crawl. <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always wondered if uh, maybe the the character was sort of a, a um, sort of a parody of uh, just Walt Disney movies in general, right? Because she she kind of feels like this uh, Disney heroine, um, but then she's she's really at her core like this really dark, dark character, and it's sort of how like Disney is a, uh, you know, like Mickey Mouse and family friendly films, but really like they're a, uh, one of the biggest corporations in the world, and they have their hands in all sorts of. Um, stuff that they don't want you to know about um she's snow white she's snow white with like a gun license basically. yeah yeah like that's exactly what she is like yeah. she's well, just such a crazy character but she's wrapped up in a nice little pretty bow but as yeah. soon as you undo the bow she like explodes in your face and she's out there with the uzis and the, the grenades and yeah yeah it gets absolutely crazy like one of the, one of her favorite moves of hers is just uh just the way she like she does a curtsy and then she did she kicks like a mine at you at the same time <laughs> yeah like, it's yeah <laughs> They do a lot of stuff to subvert your like to show that they're subverting your expectations. Like her, her stage where Grandma's house is is like an old broken down like neighborhood with like visible power lines, and uh, the house itself is actually quite broken down. And like I also also really liked the kind of nod like that she has this gang of huntsmen, whereas obviously in the original fairy tale. Uh, the huntsman is who comes and saves her, so it works. But in this case, they're kind of like a um, what's the word? They're like an enforcement gang for it, and there's like different sizes of them. Um, I always thought that was a really fun kind of um, 
Yeah, we, that? we should we should say that one of them is not a hunter. It's a, like a German soldier for, from World War exactly. II. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that's even more ridiculous because he, the, the the hunter has the a kind of more traditional, you know, South Germany uh, outfit, and the the one behind him is basically just a, a German soldier. So that that's ridiculous. And he's uh, <laughs> It's just not firing, you know, uh, traditional bullets. They are firing missiles, yes. rockets. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and so that's that's pretty. Close. They're the biggest characters in the game, actually. The, these yeah. two humans are bigger than like any of the monsters in the game. They're they're humongous. They're like Weight Watchers juggernaut. Like they're <laughs> they're, they're yeah. massive. I never well, noticed that the the one in the background had the the helmet on. <laughs> right it's all deceptive it's 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 like it, the closer you look the darker it gets yeah. yeah it's very very interesting like what does this say about society honestly like what is bb hood really into what's happening here yeah, yeah she got some uh, military characters. I, I wonder if it really is like what we were talking about is since she's the only human character in the game maybe it is that whole what does it say about humans exactly uh, yeah that we are monsters too yeah. But yeah, I, I, I don't know if there's a name for it, but I really like the this kind of um, this. I don't know if it's a genre, but it's definitely an approach. You see it in uh, like film and books, like Dresden Files or Supernatural, where like it's this kind of approach of taking a standard fairy tale or a story that we know and saying, no, 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 here's how it really is. There's the story, and then there's the reality, and the reality is always a, a bit of a subversion, but, but it still takes a lot of cues from. Here's why this stereotype. Or this thing uh, got represented, and I, I can see this very much here, where they're being like, "No, no, no! Here's the real BB Hood. Here's the real story about this cute girl that you've heard stories about. Here's what the, here's here's how those and you, you kind of have this really fun uh, experience where um, you can make the connection of like, oh, I understand why even in this world, why the story of Red Riding Hood would eventually turn into this fairy tale about this, but that the the actual reality of it was much darker." Or that like that kind of idea that in reality, like, you know, we we demonize all of these dark stalkers and they're they're like things that, that are hunting us or we in the night, but in reality that's not what happened at all. We created these stories or like I don't know, I like that that general type of genre defiance. It's super fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. One other thing that I really enjoy as well, just to kind of like round off with BB Hood, is the fact that as we said at the start, like she is the monster in this world so later on in the arcade when you've gone through all of the story stuff her arcade ending actually shows her and she's featured on the news on the not just on any news on the vampire news so basically, <laughs> there's a, yeah there's, there's a monster guy and he is like the news reporter and he's basically like oh next up another story of the horrible serial killer like oh she's a she's terrible who is this lady who knows who she is she's awful she's coming around to your neighborhood Ooh, very scary and then um there are basically a bunch of uh monsters in a house and they are watching on a very weird strange looking tv and there's a small like little child monster and the mother and father they're watching with the child as well and the mo and the child turns around and says, "Mummy, I'm scared. Like, I don't want to go to sleep tonight. They've got a ruthless murderer out there. She just, you know, very very <laughs> scared. Like a normal little child would be if they see something scary on TV. And then, um, yeah, like they have these parents here who are both werewolves, and they say, "Oh, don't worry, sweetie, we're okay. We're always with you. Like, you'll be safe and fine." And then the camera pans out, 
and you see BB Hood walking on the trail towards their house, and it is terrifying. <laughs> it's so dark. It's... Yeah. Can we talk about the fact that on the way to the house, there's a tree, like you know, the the um, the snow white trees uh, with mouse and things like that, and one of them is smoking a cigarette. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> There's absolutely no reason, and cigarette smoke is doing, doing an emoji face. Uh, <laughs> yeah, all of the trees in this in this image, they have a they've got like little smiley faces etched into them. Like it's absolutely yeah. crazy. But it's like not even like they're etched into it. It's like the trees are alive. Like the tree is smoking. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a very very strange. You, and you have to see it to really get it. But yeah, it's contrasting with the 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 werewolf father who was in his sofa and is a. Uh, you know, smoking his pipe, and the the shape of the smoke is small hearts, and even mm. the the, the <laughs> all the decoration is all about love. And there's this maniac woman uh, hunter, human who's coming to, well, finish them. I yeah, suppose. Mm -hmm. she she's essentially a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, that's not a, even a I hunter. Like the, yeah, yeah. The, the the I am a legend. Uh, you know, spin-off. <laughs> Yeah. But I didn't expect it this way. <laughs> All right. Um, shall we move on? Yay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so next character, um, Lilith, uh, was also uh, introduced in this game. Uh, so Lilith was uh, based off of uh, Morrigan. Uh, Lilith is um, visually, she looks like she might be like Morrigan's little sister, but actually, in terms of the plot, she's. Um, a piece of Morrigan's soul that's been separated, right? Um, to, to, does anyone know the story? Uh, maybe, maybe someone else could explain it a little better than me. I think, um, well, I'll, I'll try. I'll try my best. I think the, the story is that Morrigan, <clears throat> so she's the daughter of one of the, uh, the, the leaders of the Makai realm, the demon realm, right? Bilal. And uh, Yeah, Bilal's daughter. And uh, when she was born, um, I think she had so much power that uh, they they just got concerned about like one being uh, being you know being this powerful so they took part of her soul and just like sealed it away just so mm -hmm. um, she wouldn't be so almighty and just out of control and then I believe um, was it Jetta that found her soul or yes. so somebody found it and yep. gave it form it's exactly that yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so it helps get her a body basically. Yeah, and then so so Lilith is this um, very innocent uh, uh, character, this kind of happy-go-lucky, uh, you know, uh, succubus character, and she's very like cutesy looking, and um, she she sort of uh, has this like sort of like Lolita thing going on, uh, where uh, you know Morgan's like very like busty and sensuous, and Lilith is like uh, you know like she's 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 very petite she's like totally flat-chested she hops around all happy you know she has a uh, short hair just like very uh, uh youthful um and just yeah yeah very very um interesting character although i, th I think thomas you, you you might have some some words yeah I, I really don't like this character for a lot of reasons but mostly because you know when when dark Souls, when vampire savior came out we are in the middle of the 90s and that's the, the that's the moment you know companies basically started doing doujinshis of themselves, you know, making derivative work of themselves. Like 
you can see that she's basically uh, like you said the the petite morrigan the, the juvenile version of morrigan then that was a trend basically uh, that we had uh, in all all games in many products and a lot of things and you know I, i'm not a fan of turning you know characters like this creating characters like this just because there's a i don't know that, that's not the place you know to discuss you know otaku culture and things like that but i'm always i always feel a bit um not strange but uh uneasy when i see leave it basically because there, there, i can't see her being created outside of you know sexualization and uh and a trend about you know youths younger women being sexualized so but that's maybe me <laughs> thinking about it a bit too much i don't know i so well, uh, i was gonna actually add something uh regarding uh lilith uh, originally, uh, I believe the scenario planner, I think Haruo Murata, she wanted her to be, uh, as Murata described it, a male daughter. Um, and the gender for her character is still listed as unknown. Oh, really? Canonically? Uh, yeah. So I it's I don't know if that's something that they wanted to confidently go into, but uh, she originally was planned to be like, you know, something a bit different. I don't know if it was a Lolita thing, but uh, you know, like there was there was a hint at this direction with this character, and I guess you know at some point you know they didn't really want to like go too loud with it or too obvious with it i guess so they kind of just wanted it to be like a i guess like a, a subtle quiet thing that a lot of people don't really talk about but her gender is listed as unknown and murata wanted her to be uh a character that was not what you thought they were um so if uh, if i may go on a tangent about uh the the at least like uh, so this is the thing where I don't know if all of these things are applicable to how they did it, but uh, I would like to clear, give a little bit of a history lesson as to how Lilith applies in mythology, because I actually think it's I think there's a, there's a lot of intentionality here. Uh, it's something that's very interesting. A lot of people I don't think know a whole lot about Lilith, and so finally my my Catholic school education is paying off yet again. So <laughs> yeah, let's go. Uh, I think a lot of this is very, very kind of something that they may have integrated into. So the first thing I wanted to mention that is very interesting is um, obviously like Morgan, she's a succubus. And where that, that whole genre comes from, the whole idea of a succubus actually comes from. So people don't know Lilith in Jewish mythology, very uh, spicy, controversial figure. Um, but... Uh, so the, the character, like, she doesn't really appear as part of, like, the classic Torah. So you're not going to find her in the Bible, but she applies heavily throughout uh, Jewish, Jewish um, old-school mythology. And basically, she is supposed to be the first wife of Adam. So you always hear Adam and Eve, um, but there is actually an implication that whereas Eve was created from Adam, uh, Lilith was not. Lilith was created from the dust uh, of the earth. And there's a lot of things happening with her and where, where the succubus thing comes in is that she always felt herself uh, an equal 
unlike Eve, who is subservient because she came from Adam. And there's even stuff in the lore about how she refused to have sex on the bottom. There's a whole other story about her after coming, she, she left and came back to the Garden of Eden and found him with Eve. And she basically raped Adam, oh, like secretly. Yeah. Uh, so she's actually kind of subpar a, a power symbol, like uh, sometimes feminist user. Uh, but overall, she's generally, uh, at the time within Jewish mythology, women seeing themselves as equals was not, um, it was frowned upon, let's say. So it was, she was very much created as a negative symbol. And that's where Succubi came from, is basically the, the sneaking into your, your Garden of Eden and forcing you to have sex, like, oh no, they seduced you. You had, you didn't have a choice. <laughs> she got on top. It's blah blah blah. Like, you know, you were. This was a supernatural thing. Surely he was good. And I don't know. I, I feel like, uh, I, I feel like whenever you see Lilith in media, like here or in Diablo Four, as as really like a key figure as being both like demonic and also angelic. Uh, there's a lot of built up into the mythology of her being kind of the genesis of, uh, e like, equilibrium, if you will. Like, again, one of the first characters to see themselves as uh, equal to man, which was a problem for Jewish mythology and stuff like that. But uh, And there's all, all sorts of other stories that I, I don't know are, are, are officially accepted as part of uh, uh, Jewish mythology about uh, you know, angels trying to steal her children away from her and she just going on rampages and killing and stuff like that. So she's a very violent character but it, it comes from her being betrayed uh so there, there's always kind of this element of uh she has kind of an innocence but it's it is uh not not disturbed but it's innocence that's been kind of disrupted uh outside of her own control and she she was one of the first uh female figures in this mythology to take control to be um a more like uh, air, air quotes a very a more independent woman and not subservient to, to men within uh, Jewish mythology, which makes her a, a very powerful figure, a very controversial figure uh, that I think to this day is still not not something that uh, Jewish historians and uh, theologists really like to talk about. So I but I think I think there's a lot there that's very interesting. Mm. Mm. Wow, thanks for that history lesson. Yeah, yeah it's really interesting. And then there's uh, Lilith in Evangelion. <laughs> All right. All right. No oh, spoilers in case, in case anyone hasn't seen this uh, oh. 20, 20 year old. Let me mention yeah. something. Let me mention something. Please, please, please. Uh, yeah, it's really cool actually because it's really interesting that you mentioned that because um, Lilith, as we know, as we know them in Darkstalkers, um, they have some moves that are kind of the exact, exact opposite of what Morrigan's are. So, for yeah. example, like Morrigan has like Shadow Blade and like Darkness Illusion. And then, like, they're both dealing with, like, you know, dark and, like, kind of heavy, like, nighttime feels and nighttime, uh, you know, themes. And then, like, Lilith has those same moves, but they're just, like, the light version. So she has, like, Shining Blade and, like, Luminous Illusion. So, like, they're kind of dealing with a sort of light version of the same kind of move, same kind of topic. And that kind of, in essence, it shows what it is that, that she is. She's the, she's the other half to what Morrigan is, in essence. And when they join together, they become, like, the whole. So, for example, like, her sort of color scheme in some areas like the dark green in the wings and like the purple hair like a kind of like a reference to morrigan's you know like purple inner wings and iconic green hair but just in reverse it's kind of cool just to sort of like see like these things happen and like when these characters get to sort of swap around in a sense with their own different like color palettes and schemes and different versions of themselves like 
you get to see a little bit of the story in there. They kind of get to mix mix it in properly. It's it's really interesting to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, great. Um, shall we move on? Any Let's, any? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. All right. Let's get into. Um, so this is one of my all-time favorite characters. Uh, just yeah, just one of the yeah. strangest and most fun characters. QB. She she's uh, my my um, personal favorite uh, new character in in, in Darkstalkers um, in in this installment. Uh, even even though I I love Jedi, I love all these characters, but just something about QB, like, such a strange character. Um, She's super off-putting and super weird, but it's very well it's very designed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Th this is another character with a lot of strange elements going on, and it just comes together in in a way that only this team <laughs> at this point in time on Earth could have yeah. could have come up with. So, so I have the feeling we we're always seeing this for all characters, but. Queen yeah, she wins it, I think, by a, by hmm. a big margin. Yeah. So oh man. Good. Oh, she. Um, okay, so so story-wise, um, she is a, like a soul bee, right? Is that what they call them? Um, mm -hmm. So she she's mm -hmm. from a she's actually one of like just a, a species of um, these creatures that they're, they're these humanoid bees. They they look like uh, women, uh, you know. Uh, half women, half bee, and um, I think she. Uh, they they serve uh, Jeddah. They go around and collect souls in their hives, and um, so QB is uh, this weird mix of like cute and menacing. Because at first glance, she's like this cute girl with a bee theme, right? Um, you know, uh, she has like a cute face, uh, and you know, bumblebees are are cute too. She's got sort of this furry. She looks like a ballerina almost, right? She's in. It looks like maybe she's in tights and she's got like a bee-themed outfit. But then, something about her is very um, off, right? Like uh, her posture is like kind of. She's like kind of hanging there. It's kind of menacing. And then, um, you know, story-wise, she's just this carnivorous um, animal, really. Like not 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 even really fully sentient. She just uh, is driven by this impulse to like, you know. Um, Consume. to eat and consume <laughs> to capture and consume right she um i mean she has a move one, one of my favorite moves her, her ex version of her uh, stinger so so the regular version she flies out and she stings you a few times but if you do the ex version she stings you uh, and then uh, injects you with um a larva and then envelops you in a in a cocoon and then a new QB sprouts out of you while the old one collapses and dies, and the new one is the one that's fighting. It, it's it's nuts. It's it's like peak Capcom strangeness. Um, I, actually, I'm I'm talking a lot. I I would love to hear um, everyone else's thoughts on QB. I'm not sure to start with the yeah. strangeness. <laughs> yeah, go go ahead. There's, there's so much. There's so much to say about this character. You oh yeah. You guys go for it. Yeah. I've, yeah. First, we have to to talk about. Eyes. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Eyes. <laughs> that's that's one of the things that's the like, eyes, what's something's off about her? What is it, right? It's um. So so she has like this cute face, and then on top of her head, she's got these bee eyes, these big, large compound eyes. They almost look like um, like goggles that she's lifted up. But uh, if 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 you look at her um, actual you know character file from Capcom. 
those are her real eyes. The, the eyes on top are the real eyes, and the face is a mock face. She has a mock face to just uh, <laughs> lure people in. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's so disturbing. She's, she is the nightmarish interpretation of, like, a mech, except that it's a bee piloting, like, the shell of, like, a, a human. <laughs> like, or, or something that looks like a human. Like, it's, it's, like, the more that you think about it, the more terrifying it, it, it kind of becomes. You, uh, you only ever actually see it when she is electrocuted. Um, yeah, yeah, she's literally, like, a being piloting a bee suit. Yeah. If you look at her electrocution yeah. state, you see, like, a tiny little bee person inside of the, <laughs> this, this bigger suit, like, almost on stilts. You see, like, a secondary skeleton in there. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think oh, yeah. also the the little bee figure. I, I think maybe it's also a call out to. Um, I'm guessing, I'm guessing her main inspiration is uh, an old Tatsunoko cartoon called uh, The Adventures of Hutch the Honey Bee. That's Konshu Monogatari Minashigo Hachi. So Hutch the Honey Bee. This is a very old '70s Tatsunoko uh, production. Uh, it's very very similar bee characters, but man, like. How did they even think to add this character to the cast of like classic monsters or historical monsters? And then like here's a bee. <laughs> exactly. That's one of the that's one of my favorite things about them. Just the fact that like they really did just say, all right, we've got a vampire, werewolf, mummy, merman. Okay, bee. But maybe one of the guys was you know allergic to to be uh, to bees. Yeah, he's like, dude, I went to the hospital. Oh, we <laughs> you know that? Yeah. That's a good I point. We spoke, about, yeah. we spoke about this before. Yeah, that was it. I remember saying that. Um, yeah, actually, does kind of work though, in a sense, because like bees are a very genuine like phobia that a lot of people yeah. in the you know yes. global population do have. Like being afraid of bugs is very much a real thing. You will encounter people, even listeners right now, that might be you know afraid of bugs, which is totally fine. But like, yeah, like it's a very very realistic thing. Like it's really woven into a move very well like her, all of her punches they're all some kind of like stinging type move mm. she has like a medium punch that like turns her arm into like a sort of more classical insect like arm with the sort of claw like stingers at the end she has a sting kick which is like an interesting like shin kick where she like, has a has a like a knife coming out of her out of her leg and out of her knee and a medium kick as well she has a heavy punch where her arm just becomes like a giant hive and then like yeah. other small bees come out of that arm hive and then like sting you and then they go back into the arm hive then the arm hive becomes an arm again and then she's just done it's like <laughs> what like what did you just do like yeah it's a yeah. it's very very strange very interesting stuff i love the stingers uh, I wanted to mention... all right go ahead go for it oh, no, i just want to mention before uh before i move on too far even though this is like sort of it's like a little mini tangent we 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 talked about how like uh she has that uh visible animation like when she's electrocuted uh, I just wanted to mention something that I, I, when we were looking into that, I, I had found out that I thought was fun is she's actually one of three, I think it's three characters that have a completely custom uh, electrocution thing. So most of them show a skeleton, right? She obviously shows the bee. Um, you can actually see Anacharis is like, uh, he's like a, a mummy inside. And then also Phobos, you can see that he doesn't have a skeleton. He just has a bunch of electricity inside. Um, I thought that was a really interesting attention to detail that you see in Darkstalkers. I think um, Pyron, um, is it Pyron? I'm, I'm blanking. Yeah. The, the other, the, 
he also has like a bunch of stars, like whatever. Like so, there's actually a lot of weird attention to detail in that they have a number of different electrocution <laughs> poses oh, yeah, yeah, for every, a variety of them. Every cool. single character yeah. has a unique electrocution uh, electrocution pose. Like like uh, Jetta's bones look like they're made out of like ancient runes, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I remember. Uh, oh gosh, this is. Should we just go on a tangent? <laughs> They're all really like, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, if you look at Sasquatch, um, his bones. They, I, I, this didn't occur to me until I saw his electrocution state, where you get an X-ray of Sasquatch. You know, he, he's like already unusual. He's the abominable snowman with a cute seal face. But when I saw his mm-hmm. bones, I'm like, he's a frog. He has frog bones. Oh yeah. If you look at his bones, his jaw. His 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 legs, the arrangement of everything, he's actually a frog standing upright with massive fists. <laughs> like, uh, I never thought about that. Huh. It's it's crazy. Like uh, the the, and that's actually consistent. Like his anatomy is actually closer to a frog than like a bear or an ape. <laughs> Wait, well, I can't unsee this now. Yeah, and it's cool been right well. in front if of us. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a look at everyone's like sort of uh, items that they carry. Like for example, you get you you've got um, Donovan's like sword dialect that has its own like you know electrocution animation too. Yeah, like, it's got its own skeleton. Like, yeah, that's kind of hard to look at. Or even like um, Lord Raptor's guitar that has a skeleton as well. So it's like everything's like alive. Like yeah, it, it's very interesting. Oh, that guy's got a fishbone, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The guitar, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, it, it's yeah. really quite interesting when you actually do get to have a look at these. And like, Pyron is a is a constellation. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bishamon's armor that he wears, like that, has its own like skeleton itself. Like, yeah. It's very very interesting to look at. Yeah. Oh man, it's great. Yeah. This is also one of the the cases where uh, we we kind of talked about how like I don't know if the work is quite cartoony, but how kind of goofier and cartoony this game is relative to other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least the Dark Darkstalkers games are in general. And this is one of the examples. The more you like, in, you know, kind of examine these these poses, some of them are really cartoony, uh, and it's really delightful. Like the uh, QB one is um, the like. Uh, I mean, I'm blanking a lot of names. Like the Frankenstein one, he has like a really goofy oh, yeah. one. Even the like like some of them are are really over the top, like really exaggerated. But it just really works within the aesthetic of the game. I love yeah. how uh, Phobos uh, skeleton is basically like a, uh, a star map of things with a kind of universe on. The, in yeah, the yeah, he's got the universe inside in the, him. Is, yeah, it's like it's like you know this uh, this uh, 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 galactic brain me- meme meme that you see everywhere, yeah. <laughs> except that's his skeleton. <laughs> yeah, so it kind of looks like a like a like a central nervous system kind of. Yeah. Like, yeah, really interesting. You can see the mm. the, 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 the weapons of uh, Sienko too, and yes, a lot of. I love the the pose of you know Dimitri, who is the the most serious character, one of the most serious characters in the game. He's yeah. basically when he's a skeleton, he's basically saying "Come at me, bro!" Or, yeah. or <laughs> that's so he- funny. He looks like one of my other favorite characters, uh, Luffy. Like when he's doing like the big standing pose with the with his arms both out, when he's like normally shouting or screaming at somebody yeah. or something, or when he's talking about how he wants to be king. Like he looks like that, kind of like in a big X. Oh, or yeah. like Son Goku doing the the Genki Dama. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like your energy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, ah, yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's great. That's very so cool. That's so yeah, but back to QB. 
yes. You know, I, I just want to say, like, Cupid, I think w- one of the chief reasons she's one of my favorite characters is also just the way she's animated. I, I feel like um, that they're all beautifully animated, but I feel like she she's sort of, like, exemplified how much they'd learned in the past couple of years from, like, you know, the first, second to third game. Like, because uh, there, there's elements of her sprite that uh, almost feel a bit like, like a CPS3 um, character, you know, like like she she could almost mm-hmm. fit into JoJo or even Street Fighter Three. Just something about how self-assured like all of her stretchiness is, because she is so stretchy. She's one of the most squashiest, stretchiest characters. But um, but it's not obvious actually. Yeah, you, you, you have to pause to really catch it. It's uh, it's just really excellent. Like her 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 moves look so good. They're so well animated. Mm. Absolutely. This is also um. You know, if you will, uh, if the if the viewers and if the sorry if the listeners want to do a quick Google search uh, for QB uh, Darkstalkers and the words animation, they'll likely get a really good article uh, written about this exact subject called Darkstalkers and the Twelve Principles of Animation. <laughs> oh check that God. one out as well. Yeah, little yeah. segue right. I've there. never heard of such an article. I heard it was pretty yeah. good. Nothing about. Yeah. Uh, oh, thanks, yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 none of us, none of us read that ten years ago, and that's the reason why we're here. What? Who said that? Huh? Not, not <laughs> at all. But yeah, but that's a very good plug. Like, But basically, yeah, QB, one of the best, um, one of the best animated characters that I've personally ever seen, and just as it, as we've all been saying here, just a true testament to, you know, the improvement of these artists' skills their understanding of the medium of pixel art and animation itself. And also, again, just their creativity, just the ability to make something like a B character, just not only just fun, um, whimsical, but also in many ways scary and really, you know, terrifying and interesting. So yeah, shout out to everybody who worked on this because it just yeah. stands the test of time. Yeah, w- wonderful additions, all, all, all four of those characters. Really, really interesting. Mm. Oh man, um, shall we move on to the gameplay? The mechanics. Didn't you forget someone? Did I? Uh, Jetta, BB Hood, Lilith, QB. Am mm-hmm. I? Wait, wait, wait. Who mm-hmm. am I forgetting? Mm-hmm. I'm forgetting someone very important. Are we forgetting yeah. somebody? Got. Uh, forgot someone. You know, a young lady with a blue skin. Young lady with a blue skin. Yeah, well, she, basically, she's not very young. She's be- she's very dead, but uh, you know. Are you talking? <laughs> I've I've no clue what's going on. Are you on. talking about Shinko? Yeah. Oh. 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 Right, but but oh. she was introduced in the last game, right? What? Mm-hmm. No. No. I, no. I've... Sorry. <laughs> this is this is our, our re-recording <laughs> memory. I'm pretty sure we talked about it in the last episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm basically like uh, I, I, I mind game myself. So oh, like, uh, oh, I'm <laughs> oh, school, so school, sorry. School. No, 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 it's fine. All right, well, we'll do we'll do a, a quick uh, shout out, Sienko. Uh, yeah, great. Oh character. no, she's amazing. If you want listen to yeah, if you want listen to our last podcast where we actually talked about that, if it's not of order, mm. but yeah, yeah, um, fantastic character, really well designed, throws um axes and knives at your face, very cute, walks <laughs> on air, she's great. <laughs> Yeah. In, in two years, when these things are all in order on the podcast, so, someone's going to be listening to these and be like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry about this. I'm very... No, no, no. no. no, no, no. 
it's 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 kind of appropriate that we're going out of order given just the really strange chronology of uh, darkstalkers yeah. itself uh yeah okay uh we're just doing it the way captain talks that's all that's, we, that's all we know that's yeah. all we know <laughs> all right let's um let, let's get into the mechanics because this is a yeah. uh, a fighting game and um it is a, a mechanically rich game so i will defer to uh the expertise of uh everyone else on this subject yeah let <laughs> let, let me stop because even if i re don't remember characters i can remember the gameplay <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the the most obvious change that you'll see from vampire hunter is that the is the round system and the life bars so basically mm. we go from something from a street fighter a life bar and run system to a killer instinct life bar run system so what does that mean that means you have two life bars one uh, stacked upon the other and that when you lo when you lose the round there's no like a uh, round uh, like uh, i don't know uh, each this character wins fade to black fade to the game we start again things like that there's not nothing like this happening now each time you are knocked down, the game says knock down, uh, start again, and you have like one or two seconds before the second run starts. And the the and the the, the character that uh, remain standing keeps his life. So that means that when you when the um, when the second run starts, for example, the character that won the first one he has more life than the character that loses one. So you keep your advantage in life uh, while going to the second round. So that's super great. That makes the game even more oppressive than it is already. And as um, we already explained, it's a game about rushdown. It's a game about game being in your face. So the, the, the fact that there was a, a round system, a traditional round system, didn't work with the goal of the game. So that's the, that's the thing they changed first. That's the, 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 I think, the most important thing that you can see when you launch the game. Whew. Uh, <laughs> what's the, what's, what, what's next, James? Help me there, please. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, basically, when it, when it comes to the, I guess, the gameplay between uh, Hunter and Savior, was that you know, they, they realized that offense momentum was something that they wanted to encourage players to create and savior really embodies that uh you know it it, it makes it into one whole cohesive round uh there's not much room to breathe i guess is the is, is another way to put it um but this affects how you manage your your meter your health uh you know because you have some health that regenerates um and it, it just basically it's when you look at the game it looks like oh okay I'm playing a fighting game with these characters it's the same old thing with a new HUD and you know things like that but the way that you approach uh, playing it creates a beautifully chaotic feeling um, you know Lilith from Lilith to Jetta to um, so even Sasquatch. Um, the type of op offense, like oppressive offensive nature that you can bestow upon your opponent is uh, very different from any other game that Capcom had released at that time. Uh, you know, outside of maybe, you know, Children of the Atom, 
Uh, but I think that one of the things that you can note here is that the gameplay that's in Savior, uh, the chain combos, and the just the, the type of momentum that you're seeing people create, it was a catalyst for things to come. Uh, not even just with Capcom, but with other companies. Uh, you know, notably uh, Arc System Works uh, with you know Guilty Gear, uh, you know Blaze Blue, and you know the the whole history of games that they have uh, released. So, you know, Vampire Savior is a uh, is a very special game, and in my opinion, it's probably the third strike of Darkstalkers. Uh, it's probably the most pronounced and confident in terms of uh, the gameplay that it wanted to create and the catalyst that it created for. Um, you know, games to uh, to come in the future. So, you know, when you when you're playing it, or if you're watching somebody play it on a competitive level, even if you don't understand everything that's going on, the feeling of of this organized chaos is there. Uh, just from you know, you look at the the animation in this game, you look at the sprites and the type of shapes that these people make. Um, it it's it's the template for some of the stuff that you even see in Marvel vs. Capcom 2. You know, you look at Zabel's like, leaping attacks with his leg blade saw. I mean, it's, like, literally the same arc as Magneto's jumping roundhouse. So, <laughs> it's, you know, when you look at this game, it, it was, it set a precedent, and people followed suit with that, um, which is really interesting when you see a game like this to have uh, such an, an impact on the future while still creating its own individualized future uh, back when it came out, even up to now. You know, because people still play this game uh, competitively because of the, the, the recipe that it that it is. Like, it's a it's just a fun game to play. Is, yeah, it's also... Yeah. Oh, just a qu quick question. Like, um, w which Darkstalkers is the most popular for competitive play today? It's this it one. Savior. It's this one. Yeah, this one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, Savior through and through. It is literally the third strike of Darkstalkers. Okay. Like, that is yeah. the that is the game that people play. I mean, Mikado Game Center and Game Versus, uh, uh, GameSpot Versus do tournaments in the older games from time to time. Um, but predominantly, Savior is the game that people play. Um, you know, it, it really holds up well. Um, it's still it's still evolving to some extent uh, competitively, so yeah, yeah, it, it is the third strike of of Darkstalkers for sure. Okay, um, I I'd actually like to hear from from Adam. I'd I'd love to hear like sort of how you discovered uh, this game. I, I believe this was your entry point, right, to Darkstalkers. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, and, and, it actually was. Yeah, yeah, okay. and I, I just you know like for for us, um, we're looking back on it like we we remember it when it came out uh you, you know you i'm i'm much older than you <laughs> yeah but so uh, so like i i think by the time you discovered it um there there are so many other fighting games like all the games that it had influenced had, had come out so I, i'd like to know like how the game struck you you know like what what yeah like please take it away all right cool let's go so um well, right now, as I'm speaking, I'm 24 years old, but uh, this game came out in the arcades in 1997, and that means that I was a single year old when Darkstalkers 3 <laughs> came out. So yeah, I didn't know anything about anything, apart from, you know, just being a baby. So uh, that was fun. But this game, actually, I ended up finding out about it when I was a teenager, and I was looking online, 
just learning about pixel art i'm a pixel artist i was learning about it back then in around 2010 2011 times and there was this really cool game that my friends told me about and i ended up seeing something online about this game and it was called darkstalkers and i was like what the this is, a, this is crazy i've never heard of this before so i ended up having a look and i found a certain article the one i was just waxing about then talking about it richmond here wrote an article years ago called darkstalkers and the 12 principles of animation and i ended up reading it and i fell in love with the game because of that i ended oh. up just studying so much about these characters about the game itself about the pixel art and like who made it and like why and all these different things and i didn't find out about it really that much until when what was it darkstalkers resurrection like i didn't really 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 get super into it until that point that came out in 2013 so yeah it's not only like it's not massively like long ago but it's getting there so about like 10-ish years ago for around that kind of time period but yeah just trying to get into pixel art as a medium and trying to learn more about it i always knew that like finding sort of like you know hidden gems is a good way to learn about anything and then you sort of you expand on you grow from there and you try and you know hone your own craft and hone your own skills but yeah just um such a beautiful game that came out at such a, a time when there was a wealth of these fighting games and at a time that obviously I didn't get to you know grow up informally or at all really but I ended up finding finding a, a new lease of life with it with my own friends that I ended up playing it with I ended up going to some uh, con events in uh, in England over here for example they had it over at an expo called Play Expo I went to that for multiple years and they had to have a setup there and I'd play it with my friends that's where I got some of my first um, first ever video game posters that I got of my own free volition. I was um, trading them, swapping them with people, and then I ended up getting a really sick, um, a really cool uh, Stanley Lau art uh, poster, which was like really, really, really cool. Um, yeah, just so much really beautiful work out there that came as a part of, you know, that re-release from the Darkstalkers Resurrection era. So yeah really, really fun times, really good stuff. Lots of fond memories for myself, because again, like that was the kind of, time period and era when i really really got into it and then it's funny actually now because obviously i'm a bit older i've been able to you know get my own computer get get my own little setups and things like that and i've got more friends who i've been to university with and who i play fighting games with all the time shout out rochelle and shout out james yeah just um wonderful people who you end up loving these games with that in essence let you have even more fun with this wonderful IP with. Do you know what I mean? Like when you've when you, well of course you all know like playing a fighting game on its own on on your own is always it can be interesting when you get into the lore of it, but there really is nothing like sitting down and playing with your friends, playing with your best friends and yeah. enjoying the world as, together, if that makes sense. So yeah, it's one of the most beautiful things I can imagine doing and I'm glad that Darkstalkers has been able to give me that throughout multiple periods of my life. So yeah, Darkstalkers is great. It's been great for a long time way before I was born, and hopefully, obviously, long, 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 long after if it comes out again. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that. <laughs> That's awesome. I think, I mean, I, mm -hmm. you have just as many great memories of the game as uh, anyone else here. That's yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you bring up a really good point uh, about playing this game among friends. Because uh, I didn't really play this game competitively until a lot later. Uh, it's kind of when information was a bit more, like I guess, accessible on a collective sense. But before that, uh, you know, me and my friends would get together whatever money we got, and we would just order uh, import games. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, Capcom like like Japanese uh, Capcom like fighting games, and you know, we had limited knowledge of like what to do competitively. Sound, but we were we were okay. But we had a lot of experiences that were just super fun. 
just messing around with characters, seeing what characters could do, uh, you know, learning more about the lore and the story as we beat, you know, arcade mode. Um, and I have a lot of memories attached to just discovering, uh, you know, what people could do, moves, and just how cool things looked. Because uh, I remember the packaging for this game was just, like, just beautiful. Uh, nothing like what you would see in the U.S. So, you know, one of my buddies got it first, and, you know, it was kind of like a, a quiet, private unboxing where we just watched him, like, open everything, <laughs> and we were just, like, amazed at the, <laughs> the packaging and the CD design and just everything that came with getting like a physical tangible uh game and you know as much as i have cool competitive experiences uh the experiences that i had just admiring the experience of like owning the game and seeing like the collective work that all these people did uh and being able to share that with friends uh you know is a, is a wonderful experience it's a great thing and you know this is one of those games that uh really encapsulates that kind of feeling because it's special like there was no other game like it uh you know even vampire hunter is not like savior you know like it's just uh a collection of a lot of beautiful work uh and tapped it trapped into one cd um and it just it's amazing so it's one of those games that even if you don't play it competitively it's just a beautiful game to enjoy like just on the fronts of the music the art uh, the animation, just the, the whole package of it. Absolutely. Yeah, just very briefly, I'd just like to make a real quick shout out as well. One of my favorite fighting game videos ever, one of my favorite tournaments I've ever seen in my life, was um, Moonlit Madness at Next Level, run, run by um, a, a whole bunch of incredible individuals. And there's a video online. Hopefully, I can get Richmond to post this and they can like push it out there for people. But if you want to see some really high-level gameplay of this game, you're gonna to want to check this out for real. It's on the Team Spooky channel. Um, that's just yeah, T E A M S P W O K Y. Uh, shout out to Team Spooky and all the people over there. They're amazing. And also, of course, um, shout out to the players in this tournament as well. They're just absolutely ridiculous. Like I've seen a lot of people play this game i've seen a lot of people play just you know fighting games obviously as i mentioned earlier i'm an international taekwondo fighter i recognize when people can pull off some amazing things at a tournament you know when the pressure's really on and yeah you can just tell these people practice just day in day out and they are uh, bushido brooklyn who's a ridiculous qb player like legit one of the best i've ever seen in my life uh jay belanga awesome dimitri uh, Dianno, a really sick Rikyo player, just absolutely ridiculous if you watch this video. And of course, one of my favorite characters ever, John Talbain, uh, Hardbred, who was absolutely just ridiculous throughout that entire tournament. So, if you want to check yeah. out a really good video, watch this one because right. you will not regret it. It's, it's absolutely I wanna, fantastic. Great. I, I just want to add something to that. Hardbred is one of the most amazing uh technical players in my opinion yeah. in a lot of games and this particularly yeah. it is a spectacle to see uh how his presence is just his presence is so commanding on screen with character mm -hmm. with any character that he uses uh so i i second uh this like it is a wonderful video to watch um i would love to see him play against japan in uh, Vampire Savior. I don't know if he ever has. I know he's played Alpha 2 against Japanese players, but um, yeah, Hardbred is definitely somebody that it's just like, man, just watching him play anything is great. Yeah, definitely. 
it was hard to include this quick little shout out because yeah just um it's such a beautiful game and we're speaking about it right now but like if you really want to see that high level uh, tournament play as well just definitely check it out it's a it's a wonderful time so to go back to gameplay <laughs> <laughs> i just wanted to uh to to emphasize the the, the the whole savagery of this game actually because james in many podcasts explains how you know he savagely beated people at his favorite game using very oppressive things and i think you probably don't want to play james on dark circles hearing what i'm going to say so I talk about the, game, the the round system and the life valve, but there's more. There's like, you know, do you know, like, guess how many life, how many uh, meta bars can you have in this game? Uh, what? Tell me, what's the maximum? Oh, oh, oh nine, meter, nine, meter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, meter, meter. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah, yeah nine, most nine, games nine. it's three, right? Most games, and then. Yeah. Um... Okay, Richmond, tell me a number. Huh? Okay, tell me your number of maximum meta bar you can get. Let's see, I, I, I would... 99? Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You can have 99 levels of meta. It, what, what it means is that if you don't use meta at all during the two first rounds and you come, you, you survive to the, to the third, you probably have something like 10 to 12 meta to spend in the face of your opponents, which is super mm. great because you have a lot of ways to spend meta in this game you can use a, a es move who are uh, special moves but better you can use ex moves what we call super uh, super moves uh, now in uh, in more common lingua fighting games you can also use dark force and uh, i don't know if you remember the dark force but that's basically um a mod a mod every character has mm -hmm. and um and it's divided in sub category and uh that's very that's very special but basically some characters get an helper so there's a second character that comes and helps you some character have a gene so a silhouette or a shadow that eats uh delayed uh, in a delayed fashion some characters can fly some character characters gain uh, power moves so they can absorb your eat and eat you back and and um no, so that, that's uh, armor moves, and some characters get uh, power moves, so uh, they have new moves uh, on their moves. And finally, the, 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 the final thing that is very, very interesting in this game is how you can, after throwing someone, you can pursuit, pursuit him. Like, you throw him, and after that, you can basically like use the, the fact that you put this person on the ground and hit him again on the ground and the opponent cannot do anything so that's <laughs> yeah, that's the times. amount of things you can do in the face of your opponent so and of course there are defensive systems def but defensive systems are super hard to to use and one of the one of them which is uh, the tech uh, the tech it is basically a way to, to to you know push your opponent back say okay stop it like go back uh, far from me and <laughs> the way of doing it uh, I think James you, you might you have probably nightmares of doing it you have to press <laughs> I'm not joking you have to press three to six buttons during a window of 12 frames and you and by doing this 
you will have a certain percentage of chance of accessing, of pushing back your opponent, of doing a take it. Like if you, if in 12 frames, like that's less, that that's less than a second. That's uh, yeah. one fifth of a second. One fifth. Yeah. <laughs> You, you yeah. have you, you have to press six buttons to guarantee a push block to push back your opponent. If you press only five buttons, you only have seventy-five percent of success. If you press four, you have fifty percent. If you press three, you have twenty-five percent. Imagine, hmm. imagine, you have a giant Sasquatch in your face, and you're like, I have to press six buttons in twelve frames. <laughs> yeah, especially when they're doing. Uh... You know, like a short hop light kick uh yeah and it's yeah, coming out in a fraction of a fraction of a second yeah. uh it is it is a nightmarish prospect uh yeah. it, it's you you sort of learn that like you have to just say okay within the in the barrage of things that may be happening to you if you know that something's going to happen to you repeatedly you kind of fit it in that particular area and then hope that like you can perform it uh it is really satisfying when you do, though. I, I will admit that it is incredibly satisfying to get that off. Um, you know, but yeah, it is. It is definitely something that says that this game encourages like just offensive madness. And when you are on the receiving end of it, uh, you have options, but they are pretty difficult ones. Which is why I always try to just be on the opposite side of that. Yeah, I, 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 forgot, to, I forgot an important thing. If you press buttons simultaneously, they are counted as only one button. So you can't even, you know, press your hand on your arcade stick and say, Are you okay, serious? Yeah, yeah. You have hmm. to, you know, piano. You piano have to it. piano key it? You have to piano it, yeah. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. In 12 frames? That yeah. means you have yeah. one thirtieth of a second per, per button. <laughs> yeah, per input. Yeah. That's... You, you have to... You have to piano it in a very specific That's way insane. in order to even like one get that correct. One thirtieth yeah, of a second is how long an image stays on screen on a on TV while you're watching, to trick your brain <laughs> into thinking that you're watching real life. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 I didn't know it was that, that punishing. The, the, <laughs> mo the most savage thing about this is that you know there's a whole mind game that tells itself because. You are pressing. You are trying to press six buttons in twelve frames. But let's say I rush you and I only press, you know, a light punch. And light punch has has very small instant, you know. So if I do light punch and nothing, and you try to take it because you thought that it was a, a heavy move with a, a lot of instant, so you will have more time to press your buttons. Basically, you are pressing buttons in uh, in the air. On my on my guard you know and that's the whole danger of this thing is that if you mess your character since you press button he will do moves <laughs> and you are bad you can be punished for trying to pushing back your opponents using this whole system of six button in, in 12 frames oh, so there's God. this wall you know um, it's a very high risk high reward uh, thing but when you are starting to play the game oh my god that's so hard that's so 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 hard and that says a lot about you know the direction of the game the direction the philosophy of the game because if the the the, the most basic way and free way of um because it doesn't take meta 
to to get out of jail is this that means you ha you will take it's you will be opened you will an overhead is going to come on your head all these things are going to happen so that's a you know that's a, a thing you have to take into account when you're starting to play this game is that you're going to be in the corner very fast you're going to have to get out of it very fast too otherwise you're going to be dead very very fast and you won't even have the round change to breathe so that's the whole cruelty of it and that, i think that's what make the made the success of the game it's very skill based um there's a um, there's this wall you know i don't know unity something like it feels complete it feels logical in all the aspects of the game when you play it yeah yeah every everything just comes together uh in a specific way that you know it, it you accept the the skill level required to play it on a particularly competitive level it's like you have to kind of it's like when you experience someone just stomping a mud hole in you it doesn't it doesn't feel <laughs> uh, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't feel as as terrible as you would think it is it's more of like a okay this can happen to me but the most empowering statement that comes from it is that you can also do this to someone else. So it becomes this sort of uh, gold rush to be able to be in the position to do that to somebody. Um, so it's their confidence and their skill level coming against your confidence and your skill level. And there's like a certain uh, adrenaline that comes from that. Uh, I think the only thing I can really compare that to is like playing uh, X-Men versus Street Fighter with someone on an equal skill level where you both know how to do infinites and you know that one touch is probably going to lead to death and then when your second character comes in a guard break into another infinite is going to cause death so any sort of maneuvering and movements are done intricately and confidently and then like the moment that you get that opportunity based on your knowledge of your character where you are on the screen you capitalize on it um and I feel like Dulk's, I feel like Vampire Savior has like a similar feeling to that. It's not that you're doing infinites on people, but the momentum that you're keeping up in terms of offense pressure is so strong yeah. that you're trapping somebody into defeat. So it's an interesting experience to have as opposed to games that are normally noted as uh, games of attrition, like Street Fighter or Street Fighter Two or. Uh, you know the alpha games to some extent obviously excluding alpha one because guy is in it but that's another story um but like it it has like a particular feel that you're like nah man i i like this idea i want to you know and i feel like it embodies a lot of the log lines for like american games back in the day too it's like crush your opponent you know like uh it, it really just encapsulate this idea like no they beat you but you can do the same thing to them enjoy that that idea um, and it's just really fun. And what, what we should say too is that it's a very there's not except if you're Sako playing Baby Boyhood and doing an infinite, all combos in these games are like three to four hits. So that, that there's you know uh, you reset, but it, it's a game you have to you have to stay in the present all the time. You have to evaluate yeah. all the time what's going on, and that's very very hard because. If you take a game like Marvel vs. Capcom 3, for example, once you open, there's like a, a tw 12, tw 12 to, I don't know, 25 seconds combo going on until you're dead and your new character comes in. So you have, you know, to 
time to ponder things like he opened me this way my new character will come and he has this team composition so i should do this but in this game since combos are basically light medium strong and chaining and there's some links and sometimes you can do a you can chain you know do a light medium strong and do a special move behind it after that so basically everything goes fast and it's there's like an opening every i don't know five seconds three seconds sometimes uh you have to, to stay fresh all the time to evaluate super fast so that's that's cool because you know a new player can come and do some damage and be and feel nice about it and do you know you, you the game is empowering you at first but once you go in a more you know uh, once you start to play in a more uh, efficient manner i would say i would say it's it's a lot 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 harder but like james said if the opponent can do it to you you can do it to them so <laughs> basically yeah it's it's it's, it's, it's basic yeah it's a certain level of urgency across the board it's like unified urgency uh and <laughs> it's and and it's 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 cool but you know what else also has that feeling at least for me is uh Jeddah's stage the fetus of god i would like to Real quick before I transition, I would like to canonize many of James' phrases into fighting game lexicon. R Rushdown becomes offensive madness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I... Among know, other I, things. I, I do what I do. <laughs> and then the one, the one you just said, too. <laughs> but, uh, yes, moving on. <laughs> but... but uh, you know, one of, one of the things that I, I really liked about uh, playing this game and getting to Jetta's stage for the first time was, you know, obviously the, the sort of interlude intro that Jetta has when you fight him as a boss uh, is obviously like a collective experience. You're playing against all these zany characters and you're, you know, you're experiencing the, the world of Darkstalkers and it all culminates to like you fighting the IRS of this world, right? So he slowly ascends down. And you've got this like this heavenly quote unquote heavenly like chorus like just like backing him up and he's he's, he's slowly descending down um, and you know he's telling you that he's the beginning of the end and uh, you know and the fight starts but like as you're fighting and you realize what you're like surrounded by right it's like you're not even like on the the, the rest of the plane of the world you're inside of the fetus of, of god and these organisms are pulsating everywhere and it's it's eerily calm at first right you know but it's it's creepy because then because for me right i'm thinking to myself like i don't like things that make me feel like disgusting right like so i'll give a quick example like washing dishes and feeling like icky stuff on your hands when i was a kid used to piss me off to no extent you, after a while you get over it but that first feeling of that was really gross to me and all I could imagine was my character's foot being just their heel, yeah, yeah, yeah. just being engulfed in, in that nastiness, light. right? Because you're stepping on like <laughs> flesh, not even like skin, like inside flesh, like muscles and tissue and you know, all these things. Like, gosh. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, oh my God, that's got to be like icky and gross, right? But then as like you get to the last round, 
right? You get to the final round, everything starts to like pulsate and vibrate more so because it's sort of like this idea that the birth isn't gonna happen, like, you know, like because the, the fetus's eyes start to open up and like, you know, it starts to, all these other animations of like things are pulsating in the background, right? So it's just like this really like strong uh, presence that you get, uh, you know, with that stage. and. As much as I love a lot of the stages in Dark uh, Stalkers entirely up to Vampire Savior, uh, and they all have their own individual character and feel, uh, for me, Fetus of God was one of the ones that just like really uh, just just st- it, it 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 had an impression on me that is unforgettable. And to this day, like when I'm fighting on that stage, if I'm playing arcade mode or playing someone else, it's just like I kind of live for that moment of just like oh my god, like. You know the the, the the culmination of that stage kind of almost exploding into birth. Like uh, it's it's really it's really cool. And I feel like the only thing that it, it, it makes me remember is back in Street Fighter Two when you hear the music start to speed up at the end of the rounds, like when at the end of the match. Like it reminded me of that same kind of urgency that it's like oh, you know, something's happening. You know, um, and I think that that's really great that a stage can make you feel that, regardless of what's going on on screen with the two players. Yeah, it's great. There's another really cool moment actually in um in Jedi's ending, where like the doors like open and they're inside the fetus of God itself, and it's like yeah. this like giant like bright light coming throughout these doors, and it's just like what's going on here? Like this is there are these <laughs> giant swinging doors inside of this like fetus, and yeah, it's just absolutely uh it's just absolutely crazy. This, this womb, sorry, but yeah, it's just ridiculous just to look at and imagine you know being inside. It's just such an odd you know thing to think about but yeah there they yeah. are fighting in there like yeah, yeah. there's yeah. also um a thing i think it was you the the previous recording uh richmond that found the reference for the for the features of god you know the um, the time magazine oh, yeah. with the the fetus photos oh yeah 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 it was um the april 30th 1965 uh issue of life magazine it was called uh, Drama of Life Before Birth. And um, it was a feature by a Swedish f- photographer named uh, Leonard Nilsson. And it was the first time ever that um, someone had used, you know, this uh, developing technology of like microscopic cameras and um, just, uh, you know, uh, surgery techniques. They were able to actually insert uh, a camera into a pregnant woman and film like uh her her baby you know but before it was born uh they did this all safely uh they 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 took photos of an 18 week uh, old fetus and uh the the imagery is just it's stunning it's still stunning to this day and back then i mean this was like you didn't magazines weren't like full color even right like in the 60s um so that this thing was a big deal like the, the the it's right there on the cover if you look it up drama of life before birth life magazine it's uh it's 100% sure like this is the inspiration for that stage because it's a, a really important series of photos um and, and they're really beautiful like they're they're really really miraculous photos and um yeah capcom kind of captured that what a strange thing to turn into a fighting game stage yeah. like yeah, very very yeah. created one of the most memorable fighting st- stages ever did did you guys ever have friends that were like okay like we're not allowed to fight on this stage like it's too disturbing <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, not for this game, but yes, I've had people that were just like, I can't take yeah, for, these. For, for other stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah for, for, for other certain things. But that's one of the cool things about it, though, because, like, even the game stages make you feel kind of queasy sometimes or a bit scared or whatever. Like, they, they, they've they done so well. And it's still, again, like I said before, it does stand the test of time. If you show somebody who's never seen Fetus of God before, if you show this to them, you you will get a reaction. Yeah. I don't care what reaction it is, but you're going to get a reaction. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely interesting. It's just, the, the baby has an eye on its foot. <laughs> I know. It's so strange. Like, yeah. yes. really, really weird. They took, yeah. like, baby, like, cosmic horror to the maximum. They just put it up to, like, 11. Yeah. Like, they just really went all the way with it. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I do like that. Um, I think it's especially memorable because it does capture some of the the tenderness of the that original photo shoot. It's still um, just sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but it, it's it's a little bit cute. It's still like a big no. baby. A little bit. No. A little bit. No. A little bit. Yeah, yeah no, I I agree with that. Like, it, it, you know what it is? It, okay, so it's the parts of it which you're looking at, which mm. aren't necessarily so like aggressively like creepy at the very start at least right so for example like if you're looking at like the closed eyes mm -hmm. like the little tiny hands the general kind of like fetal position like yeah it's like it's a baby that's baby like do you know what i mean like when you're looking at it you think okay sure i recognize what it is that this is but then when you start obviously looking at like the larger head the exposed brain the wings the iron foot then it starts to get a little bit weird yeah. i i mean like it, it's it's not directly threatening it's more like its very existence is deeply disturbing but it's it's not actually yes. threatening you at all it's uh, yeah. it's still just acting like a little little baby nah mm. you know and and then mm. it opens its glowing eyes <laughs> and, exactly yeah. I, you know the, what? the entire area starts shaking. Yeah, I just noticed it, it has six fingers. One, two, oh, really? three, Wait, one, two, four, three, five, four. six. Right? Okay, wow. Oh, yeah. Damn. A, pro a proof of his deity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like and like the the skin is all like kind of like warped a little bit with like yeah. the extra kind of like veins popping out and like yeah. kind of weathered weathered kind of looks parts of it, but then really smooth parts of the other part like. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's it's full of different, just again, looking at it from like a pixel art like perspective as well, like the ability to convey texture is something that's really hard to do, especially when you're looking at like a pixel art. There are a variety of different methods to do so, and lots of artists use different things for different reasons, but my favorite, one of my favorite things about this is the fact that like, they've been able to make its like face and cheeks so kind of like bulbous and like, you know, full of like, just full, full of, not even just full of air, but like they just, they look like babies, you know, cheeks, do you know what I mean? Like, they look like yeah. they're very like plump and like full. And then like, as they sort of, as you sort of go up like slightly, you end up seeing this like really weird kind of like exposed brain. And it's like, yeah. what the, like, what's going on here? It's, it's a really interesting way to sort of like convey a sort of smoothish kind of surface. It turns into this really wrinkled, kind of prunish, very raisin-like sort of material. It's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. But, but there are so many stages that do this yeah. very well. I just want to just gush a little bit and just talk about two of my favorites real yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, Go for it. Uh, Forever Torment. This mm. is um, Zabel's stage, and I believe it's also Victor's stage, I think. But yeah, like, it's basically this giant, like, torture chamber. And mm. it is full of, you know, spikes and they've got a giant guillotine there and there's blood on the ground but one of my favorite things about it is the fact that like if you actually kind of zoom in a little bit you'll be able to see all of these different holes and like shapes and shapes and holes in the actual guillotine itself 
and the way that there is like little bits of like rust and blood and like sort of darker coloured blood like embedded within like the wood itself and the wood is weathered and there are even like tiny little kind of like cobweb type um little yeah. bits of like fluff and wool and fur and it's just absolutely amazing like the way that there are so many different colours in this stage as well the purple some magentas the reds the blues the the sort of darkened kind of blackish hues like really really interesting stage here in the way that can I mention can I, I just want to mention something real quick with what you're talking about, uh, Adam, before we go on. Just something that uh, I feel like me and Richmond, over the course of our career slash friendship, used to, like talk about this so much is, is it seems like artists feel like when they're doing dark things that they have to use black. And this stage uses it, but this is one of those ones where the idea of shading to shading to black, but really using blue and purple and re like actually using reflected light and color brings your state like brings your art so much more alive so like they're really thoughtful around when they use actual what i call jet black to get the really dark shadows but to your point they achieve this very dark feeling background that's got a well-lit front so that you can fight and they use it because they use like in this case like i said it's uh it's true kind of understanding of color like even the sh the the kind of the the light has a green hue to it and something that like i feel like a lot of i mentioned me and richmond talking about it so much is that a lot of early on like artists we work with or, or people like they they were they didn't quite understand that like if you want some you can you know you can have something be colorful and like dark and monotone at the same time and i think this is just a really good example of that no totally Totally, totally, totally. It's exactly what you just said there. Like the way that they've been able to utilize these colors and then also sort of like merge this with such a dark black, but then not overdo it. To do it in a way that's sort of just so. It's just such an efficient way of, of, of making art. It's such an efficient way of utilizing these colors. And that efficiency definitely just uh, it's remained just as pristine as it looked back then. And it really does look amazing. You know, just looking at it now. Um it's very daring how how the expansive just you know uh single color areas like like they were they were mm -hmm. afraid to have a lot of empty space you know they didn't need mm -hmm. feel the need to like put detail into everything that, that that that's really confident and i actually didn't even notice that until just now like this has the most spot blacks out of any stage i can think of like exactly. just just yeah. yeah but it works exactly that, that's that's why I love it so much. Like it's just a really interesting like display of again yeah. their their art skills and their ability to understand what it is that they're trying to make. Not only just on when when you're making an image, I, I've been trying to work on a, a saying I suppose, but it's like it's like not the image, the picture, not the picture, the image. If that makes sense, it's like they're considering everything at once. So they're looking at these places and imagining them in proper 3D space, but obviously this is a 2D image. But in a fighting game, when the, when things move, they have the sort of parallax effects on it, so it does feel, of course, like it's like it's a fully formed like 3D area that you're peering into. But yeah, yeah like these are just some of the best stages in any games that I've that I've played that I've seen because they really do evoke a very specific feeling and a theme, and they do so in such an efficient way. It's, it's great. I I wanted to also point out before we move on from this stage, there's uh, an element of the stage that I think is a really overlooked piece of uh, artistic mastery, which is on the on one of the side of the stage. There's like a spiky wheel that's spinning yep. as part of it, and it's one of those things where 
it, it looks it, like you, you don't even pay much attention to it. It, it makes just makes sense there. But the more you, if you look at it very carefully, like the the spikes because it's a wheel have to pass through this splash light on it that causes it to look circular, and you have both the light on top of the spikes that makes them look uh, volumetric, and then they spin constantly, and they have to move through the light. And again, one of those things where I'm not a sprite artist, but that looks like it was probably not actually that easy to create because, like, you know, they probably didn't have like pings or things they could just like lay a, a you know a beam of light on top of it. They had to actually change the color of it as it as it animates through the yeah. light, and it's 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 very regimented and circular because it's like you know so you can't like when when I get you you can't have those lines mess up because it's supposed to be a a wheel that's made out of metal or, or stone or something. So it's very impressive. Absolutely, like uh, it's just as you've mentioned there. It's the fact that like they're able to just create things that are so wonderfully believable looking in the supernatural world through pixel art, and they're using it as they're using the medium in one of the best ways that I've seen. They're just really, really high, high, high level. It's, yeah. it's really awesome to see. If you yeah. do get a chance, I think we'll have to share some of these too. But yeah, Forever Torment, one of my favorite stages ever. Oh, I, yeah. I, I just want to say a couple more things about this stage. This is a connoisseur stage. <laughs> I think um, <laughs> the the overall vibe of it, like uh, it feels more like um like you know, a set from, like, a 70s exploitation film than, like, a classical yes. painting. You know, like a hammer horror, or, like, uh, if you watch, like, an old Chinese or Japanese movie, if they show hell, there's always, like, very stylized, like, colored lighting. You know, people being tortured on these devices. Um, that, that pink light is wonderful. And then, uh, just th the storytelling details going on with the guillotine, right? Like, uh, the fact that it's not just for one person it's for three people exactly. there's it's yep. for for killing groups at a time and then there's little holes for their hands like because you know cutting mm -hmm. their head out isn't it, the head's not enough you want to collect their hands too and yeah. uh and and then my favorite detail i think the thing that makes it really for some reason just really terrifying is the the big white cloth that they put down that just to clean stuff up yes. like like just to absorb all the blood, the, blood. the, yes. the fact that um, they don't need to show you the gore happening they show you the aftermath and that's even more menacing the fact that whoever is in charge of this place like it's it's this is a routine right like like you know you, you're seeing it in between it, it, it just that makes it even scarier that that anticipation it's yeah. Yeah. I feel like they really it's, pushed it's so the cool. horror. Yeah. Yeah, if you just if you just um have a think about like where the blood's even like coming from as well. So for example, like there are so many different um areas of this uh, of this stage where yeah. they're kind of draped in this sort of um well they're doused in this sort of like maroonish, darkish, reddish sort of tone. And then like in my mind that's always just been like a large pool of blood in the background. Yeah. It gets like lighter and lighter as it comes closer to like the sort of brighter area of the stage. Yeah. But it's like as you can see, if you if you were to like be looking at this right now, if you were to zoom in a bunch, you'd see like the sort of peachish kind of like orangish tones on like the rocks on the, of, of the floor. And yeah. then like that's kind of you know if you smear blood on something, that's what happens, right? Like it sort oh, of yeah. it doesn't always stay the same dark tone. It just sort of blends with whatever it is it's come in contact with, and then that like, takes on a kind of reddish hue to it. So like it's just so many levels of like consideration here just regarding the materials regarding the liquid on material effects regarding the light 
just a really like you said like a connoisseur stayed in a sense just really putting so many art fundamentals and so many art values within one area and one space on display at the same time it's yeah. great wonderful yeah see now i was supposed to speak about two but i only spoke about one but i'm just going to mention my other favorite one and my oh, other no, favorite yeah. one is red thirst red thirst is a great one it's got a giant moon in the background which is like blood red it is on this beautiful um desert stage it's Anna Karis's stage and yeah it's one of the most beautiful stages I've ever seen in my life to be honest it's another one that's great got a beautiful um giant blue sort of like feel with it with it's like a nighttime um nighttime desert stage that's it yeah really really interesting feel really interesting look yeah there's a it it reminds me a little bit of um you know the Elena stage in first strike he has this, this... Oh, of course yeah this vibe of you know, uh, I don't know, of, of not controlling nature, of something unnatural around it. I don't know. That's uh, mm. I love the camel too. Camel is great. Yeah, I've seen enough camels in fighting in stage. That's true. <laughs> we need more. We need more. Yeah, we need more. Yeah, we camels. honestly need more. It's actually such a friendly <laughs> element. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. And there's the Sphinx and uh, all the Sphinx. The, the Sphinx it's so huge compared, you know, to the to the pyramids in the background. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm. that's super. That's su what is super fun is that the the, the the moon. It's like the moon is crashing on Earth. Yes. And, uh, the the fact that it's red, it it almost looks like a gigantic gigantic Earth or something like that. Mm -hmm. and the Sphinx is very very menacing because uh, you can see the, um, the 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 light reflected on because the, the sphinx and the the sound are very blue bluish and you can mm -hmm. see they made the reflection of the red on the sphinx and is very is very imposing figure and it's like it's judging your fight or something like that yeah, exactly yeah exactly. meanwhile the camel doesn't care and trying to, to chill out trying mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah. that's one of the things which i love the most it's like it feels like it, it it feels like this area that should be so hot is freezing cold yeah you know what i mean yeah like mm -hmm. this this giant desert place with a little fire right next to it it feels like the fire would be the only thing that keeps you warm there like mm -hmm. the the blueness of the actual um it's interesting i was thinking about this recently for something i'm working on but um the these deserts that we know obviously to be so hot millions of years ago they used to be full of water obviously because there were oceans pre previously so mm. it's like it sort of really harkens back to that in a sense it gives me a really sort of underwater deep blue freezing cold you know sub sub-zero temperatures type of vibe like and obviously as we know in you know real life deserts actually do get very very cold in real life at nighttime so yeah it's a it's really really interesting to uh, to think about and just to to look at from a visual perspective and a story-based standpoint yeah. Also, the moon has craters in it, which I love. Yeah. If I can plug my favorite stage. Yeah, go for it. Of, of course, you 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 know it. I don't I don't have the the name in the 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 skyscraper stage. Sorry about this. Mm -hmm. The Tower, Tower of Arrogance. Oh yes. Tower yes. of Arrogance. Yeah, oh, that's one of my favorites as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a tangent uh, about that as well, but go on, go on, Jake, go on, Thomas. Oh, I know you were a man of of good taste. Mm. So basically, <laughs> Tower of Arrogance is—it's how to say it. Basically, we are in the, the imagine Tokyo, except that you fight not at the top of the skyscraper, you, you fight at the on the side of the skyscraper, and the camera is basically 
looking down. So you have two characters fighting on the side of the, the skyscraper and the camera looking down with the circulation, the lights and even an helicopter yeah. is there sort of flying and looking at you like, what are you doing on the side of the skyscraper? And uh, I love the music of this stage and it's, it's one of those that you, you discover and you're like, okay, there's definitely something unreal about this game, about what's happening right now because that that's not possible that's not how gravity work you know <laughs> and uh i love this stage i love this stage because it's so unforgiving and it, it pushes you in a strange mood of you know it's i don't know there's there's something uh there's something about it it's a stage that gives you um how do you say this in english uh, fear of hate i know vertigo yeah yeah, yeah. yeah go. You know, uh, the fighting game stage that gives you vertigo. Like, why? <laughs> why are you doing this? And that's so great. That's so great to dare doing something like that. So that's my mm. favorite. Yeah, I, I just want oh, to. Oh, to go on. Uh, right, no, guys. I have a tangent to go on, but go I, on. I just want to say really quick this is a stage that you, you have to play. Like, you, you can't just look up a GIF or even look up mm. a video. It doesn't quite convey it because the, the parallax goes on like forever it's got the deepest floor scrawling parallax of, of any capcom game and um it's just a very interesting stage to play and i i think the, that sense of vertigo uh is very appropriate like i feel like this game more than all the other dark stalkers really emphasizes horror and oddly enough they did it more through the stages than the actual characters like the stages are very unnerving but uh sean please 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 go on all right, all right, so so tangent, and I'm getting to use my my Catholic school upbringing quite a bit this this episode. Nice. All right, so uh, now again, this is a case where uh, I think we'll we'd only be speculating as to exactly what the creator's intention is, but naming this Tower of Arrogance is a very specific choice. So Tower of Arrogance, uh, if if y'all are not familiar with, then again, Christian mythology is, is another reference to a way to refer to the Tower of Babel. Uh, and if people are not familiar with the Tower of uh, Babel or Babel, is basically it is uh, the reason it's often called the Tower of Arrogance is that the people within the story felt that they could build a tower to God, um, yeah. and uh, you know they were you know they believed they were you know they they were building this tower because they felt that they they were uh, equals they could eventually get there and I forget exactly how the story concludes but I think there is something here thematically um, about the, the, the to, to Thomas's point, it's kind of meant to make you feel uh, out of your depth. Like it, it's meant to make you feel, you know, cause you're, you're going up against, you know, again, someone that wants to be a God uh, and the, the kind of idea behind it that uh, generally speaking, you're, you're fighting on top of a building. There's a very much more of a, like a modern type of idea that I have also heard People say things um, like skyscrapers are very uh, arrogant as well because they're us trying to, you know, build toward the heavens and violate gravity and whatnot. So I, I feel like there's, at first glance, you may not think that this stage really belongs with the rest of them, uh, but I, I think that there's like the like so the 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 naming of it is very intentional. Uh, it seems, and I really like how. Again, it's not just a tower. It is defying. It's defying gravity. It's defying 
god it's uh, it's and of course obviously what they're showing you in the in the stage is that many of these humans are clearly watching this happen and being like what the hell they're fighting on the side of a building um how is this happening it's and again it goes back to the thing i mentioned that i really like about games like dark stalkers where they're kind of doing a little bit of subversion of how this mythology works together like this idea that oh no this does exist in in a world that you know it's just something happening below the surface that you don't see and when people do see it it must seem like god's fighting uh, so i actually feel like i don't know the exact um speculation of the creators but i, I also and we'll post this on twitter there's an available concept sketch of it and in the concept sketches you can really see how they want you to feel like it goes on forever um like they like you really can't see even though you can see the the lights at the bottom it really feels like a black hole right like it feels um like it just keeps going down and down and that's very um referential to the tower of babel even if you see its its references in games like xenogears where when you get near the top you can't even see the bottom anymore it's just a, a tower stuck in the sky uh and so i feel like this is a very creative way to establish that kind of theme so i thought it was super cool absolutely like as well if you i've just been staring at it whilst we've been talking and like two cool things i noticed like one of them was the fact that like each of the buildings they have those you know those red lights at the top of really tall buildings yeah that, like make sure you know other aircrafts like don't crash into the buildings and stuff so you can see that hey there's, there's a building here they've got like those on the top which are really cool which also again further go to show like how tall up where how high up where you're actually fighting actually is because if you're so much higher than those those are normally like, way off the ground and then also like if you're actually kind of like looking in the middle of the, the stage itself it kind of looks like you're looking up at skyscrapers again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of like, it kind of, it does it to you twice kind of thing. Like, like you're so high up, it looks like you're actually looking, if you look down, it looks like you're looking up kind of. Like, it's very, very strange, but like, kind of takes you a little bit of time to kind of work it out with your eyes and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's a very interesting kind of like an optical illusion of a stage, a stage full of them. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just admiring the blinking lights below. Yeah, I guess there's there's cars in the crowd, and it just looks like stars in the sky. You know, to to your mm -hmm. point, it's it's like you're looking up. Hey, talking about you know means of transportation. Should mm. we talk hey. about the East Train? Yeah. 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 Did you we hear that transition, my man? It was good. It was good. I like it. I like it. I respect it. I respect it very much. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's keep going. Okay, I hope this time Sean has an explanation uh, about this train from his, you know, Catholic um, uh, lesson because I'm very curious about what's going on there. Uh, can, can you describe uh, the stage? Uh, the stage mm. is basically a, loc uh, a locomotive. Yep. Do you say that in English? Yeah, a locomotive with that is alive somehow with a giant mouse on the side that is speaking and moving one of the chimneys is um, a kind of I don't know face with the mouse too the um, the train is uh, is driven by a skeleton smoking a cigarette and uh, ringing a bell and uh, yeah the, the whole background that we see is like fire something like that uh, so that's maybe the train to hell or something like that but uh, it's it's very special it's very I, I i can't stop thinking about the train in final fantasy 6 
you know, the, the yeah, ghost yeah. train, yeah, the ghost German suplex, and yeah. I, I sometimes feel that it's the this version we have in Dark Souls, in Vampire Savior, it's the Capcom version, you know? Yeah, <laughs> if yeah very much so. In, uh, in Final Fantasy, that will be this, basically. That's super, super strange. It's a, a bit out of touch with the rest of the stages, maybe? Because it, mm. um, it, it, it conveys something, but not much of an environment, maybe more of a moment or a creature, yeah. which is very different from other stages. I agree. Yeah. It, um, to me, the stage is a very... Uh, it, it recalls a lot of like 80s um, Western animation, actually, like stuff like uh, yeah. uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall, or like uh, yeah. even even like uh, Don Bluth films, like uh, something about the the, the colors of it. Um, uh, de definitely the wall with like just the the big lips and just the surreal atmosphere. But um, also the the colors are similar to like something like you know uh, uh, an American Tale, like like with the little mice, or like or or later um, Cool. I wonder if did Cool World come out before this? Cool. Yes. Yeah, uh, the the uh, uh, film by uh, Ralph Bakshi. Oh yeah, yeah, that was early nineties, nineteen ninety two. Oh. I bet that I bet that was the inspiration. Cool world. Um, uh, yeah, that's the the fact that the mouse has teeth is also one of the things that make it very very <laughs> strange. Definitely, and, uh, and gives a, a feeling of uneasy. Yeah. Mm. Oh, okay. Okay, actually, you guys ready for for a bit of a tangent? Okay, <laughs> let's go. Okay, um, Sean, you you remember the painter Thomas Kincaid? He, he was quite popular when we were yeah, in college. Yes, I have I have opinions that we will not talk about that are not yeah. positive. But yes, I remember Thomas. Okay, Kincaid. so so <laughs> so Thomas Kincaid is like this very um, you know he was a very popular painter in the uh, I'd say like the aughts, right? Uh, very, very commercial, like. Um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of people felt like his work is a little bit, you know, kind of corny, like kind of obvious color schemes and like just kind of very um, uh, crowd pleasing stuff, right? It, it, they kind of look like generic backgrounds from like a, a Disney film, or rather like a made a V straight to VHS copy of a Disney film. Um, but there's even a, there's even a uh, I don't know if you're gonna talk about this, but there's even a film based on his paintings. Yeah, yeah, I think they call him the Painter of Light or something. So so yeah, yeah. so Thomas Kincaid, American painter, um, very very popular with uh, sort of a mainstream audience, uh, really wealthy. He got fabulously wealthy out of his off his paintings. He worked with Ralph Bakshi. He used to uh, do background paintings on Ralph Bakshi films. So he, this dude actually has a background. He's a really good painter actually. He worked on Cool World, did some amazing layouts, um, animation background, scrappy dude really talented and then i think at some point in his life he's like you know what like i just want to make a lot of money <laughs> and he he um yeah so he just tried he just synthesized the most crowd broadly crowd pleasing uh like kind of boring watered down style he could and then he got wealthy thomas off of that, kincaid, is that it? yeah thomas kincaid so, but i'm weird I'm, weird I'm on his website and it looks like you know uh um well done bob ross painting yeah 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 to be honest <laughs> another piece of trivia there's a so the movie about thomas kincaid paintings i think it's called christmas cottage 
it, I'm, I haven't seen it. I'm sure it's terrible. But piece of trivia, it stars Peter O'Toole. What? Really? Wait, yeah. really? He starred in the Thomas Kincaid movie? Or, or he's in it. I don't know if it stars him, but he's definitely, oh he's definitely in it. On this website, he has, he has painting of the Mandalorian. Why? And oh, he's still like working? The, the, yeah, and it's the ugliest baby Yoda I have seen. Oh my god. Okay. Wow. But, uh, um, <laughs> now, if you if if you Google Thomas Kincaid and Ralph Bakshi together, you'll you'll see how talented this guy actually was. I I, I just sent you guys a link. Um, he's really good, and I'm 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 so certain that uh, his work on Cool World probably inspired uh, that particular background. Um, and I I think just his general style, like uh, may have influenced. Um, just the the approach to Darkstalkers, in general, mm. like he's really good. Thomas Kincaid. I never heard. I of could it. see that. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, he he did uh, Fi Fire and Ice. The um that was the, oh, the, yeah, the yeah, Frank Frazetta, uh yeah Bakshi movie. Um, re really really cool, powerful, very dramatic looking backgrounds. But yep, yep, that's my tangent. On that background. Uh, really, really many, many. Oh, I, had, I had a mini tangent as well, but it's 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 related to the stage, but not not to that. No, I was, I was gonna say I was gonna go with one related to this issue. You you go first. It's alright. Okay, so so the uh, mini tangent I have is that I remember Thomas was like, "Oh, uh, are there Catholic religious things in this stage?" And actually, there are. <laughs> um, really? It's not. It's not what, it's not what what you would think, uh, and again, this is like pure speculation. But um, the four five nine on the engine number that they have there, I speculate that it is a tarot reference. Huh. Uh, okay. The four hundreds in tarot are angels, um, and I believe uh, the four fifties. I don't know as much about tarot. I'm kind of out of my depth, but I believe it, that is the section of tarot cards that is uh, related to you accepting your destiny. Like, okay. just don't fight it. Commit to accept your destiny. So, uh, I, I I think it's a tarot reference. Because um, otherwise, that would be a very specific number to put there. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah that's very yeah. big brain. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 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 I was just going to mention the fact that, like, the, okay, so this stage that we're talking about here with this train, it's called um, Iron Horse, Iron Terror. And I was always wondering to myself, I was like, hmm, why is it called that? Because, like, okay, do we call trains iron horses? Is there some kind of precedent for that that I'm just unaware of? I'm still unsure about that. But one thing that I am sure of that I just saw, if you have a look at, like, where the, there's a bell at the very front of the actual stage itself, and it's in, it, it's, it's fixed uh, to a kind of a metal fixture that, like, keeps it upright, and it has behind it a kind of piece of fabric and cloth flowing around behind it, well, if you kind of have a look at it and zoom in a little bit, it'll resemble like a a, a, a mane of a horse, like a horse's mane. Mm, like wow. if you kind of like look at it and the way it kind of flows, like it, that oh, looks wow. like a horse. If you do, do you know what I mean? Like, so I've I've always been wondering to myself. I've been like, hey, why is it called Iron Horse Iron Terror? And I'm like, wait a minute, it's an actual kind of like horse like in this stage. It's got the kind of like horse-shaped head, like horse-shaped kind of like mouth to hold the bell. 
and of course like the mane kind of flowing in the wind like a horse's would win like uh, whilst it's at full gallop and stuff hmm. it's very very interesting i've never really oh, seen it subtle. right extremely subtle yeah i yeah. kind of snipe it out there but yeah it's, it's cool i've never no, no, never noticed this before yeah yeah also the mouth on the train is really strange like it, the way the kind of uh the, the lips kind of like bend and it's quite a kind of like a really weird highlight around it it kind of emphasizes its metal nature but it's kind of still a mouth that's moving it's very very weird <laughs> yeah. like only. the 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 link you gave us uh richmond the the backgrounds world by barry e. jackson there's a very a very strong uh vibe uh, horror vibe um, related to dark soldier that's a good finding yeah yeah i yeah. i just want to um uh, elaborate on what I said before. There's another uh, painter on Cool World, actually, that's probably an even bigger influence. His name's Barry E. Jackson. Um, yeah, if you look up Barry E. Jackson along with uh, Ralph Bakshi, uh, just take a look at uh, the paintings that he did. I, I feel like he must have been a big influence on, on Darkstalkers, on the backgrounds. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Especially with like, the eyes in the building and things yeah, like that yeah. as well. Kind of red, orange colors. The twisted um, architecture, the sort of yeah, again like the mouths and like tongues coming out of buildings, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, this stuff screams dog stock man. Yeah. Really? I mean, they, they look like dog stock oh. stages, like you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It looks. It it's looks like, like this. The, the second one you linked with the the building, the twisting building with the eyes. It it reminds me for some reason about the <laughs> the, the rainbow. Um, the rainbow circuit, the rainbow um, in the Mario Kart. <laughs> oh, maybe <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But you know, yeah, yeah. twisted like world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I don't know what you mean. This is no railings. It's just easy no. to just this fly off. Like, this would be a whole other kind of kart game. It'd be like Doom Yeah, yeah. No, but, but like, no yeah. I want this, ga this, this yeah, karting yeah. game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 for real. For real. Oh, yeah. one other thing as well. Um, we haven't spoken about him yet, but the driver the the train driver on this stage is literally just a smoking skeleton with like a with a bell in his arm uh, in, in his hand and a cigarette in the other hand and he's just puffing on the cigarette and just chilling like he's just watching and relaxing yeah, <laughs> yeah very very cool it's a, it's a normal tuesday uh for him just doing what he's doing yeah you know what so, i love so is he's, it, he's he's just casually ringing this bell like as yeah. if this train from hell barreling down on people like how could you possibly even hear like that yeah. bell as it's coming to, coming at you yeah it's wild as well because like in this stage like think of how many think about how many noises must be happening at once right you've got like all of the uh, the engine works all of the different pieces of the train you know uh, mechanically moving around at like you know full volume you've got like one bell in his hand you've got another bell at the front of the train and then in the middle They've got that, 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 that kind of like chimney like shoot. I forget what you call it. It's like a spout of sorts that trains have to, mm -hmm. you know, release um, gas and things. But instead of having like the general kind of shoot shape, it's just like two screaming mouths yeah. like open and close. And it's like, what the? Like, what would that sound like? like yeah. uh, I think that will sound like Dio, but the singer. So it sounds like a rainbow <laughs> in the dark. Yeah, you know, exactly. like the, the screams, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 ye
it also implies to me that like this train has like internal organs and like i'm not even sure if i'm ready for that conversation to be honest like I'm the fact that like it has like inside <laughs> yeah i don't know if i'm ready either I'm confused, Adam. I, I know oh. I'm not sure you're ready to talk about internal organs of trains <laughs> oh my god it's making me ask some questions here. I'm just like, what the? Whoa, 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 whoa. It's, it's wild. Trains and anatomy featuring Dark Soldier. Yeah. That's it. That's it. But yeah, let's um, let's move on. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the sort of like final things which we're going to be talking about and which we're going to get the amazing Sean to help us break down with some uh, excellent color theory yes. madness. But we're going to be talking about some screenshots and some other stuff to do with the introduction. So if you can, probably if you're listening pull up the introduction for this game uh, just type in just Darkstalkers 3 intro on YouTube but yeah follow along with us do, do you want me to start or do you want to get in your your, your thoughts before I, I go on this this long tangent um, please go yeah dude just take go, take go, it away just go for it it's, it's yeah. all yours yeah alright yes yeah just rock the good, mic man go ahead good, good morning color theory class we're gonna talk about <laughs> Opening the vampire savior. Um, okay, so uh, when we talk about color theory, you'll often hear me talk about um, the color schemes on the color wheel. Uh, so uh, this starts out with uh, so we get kind of a you know a, a blue like splash in in water, and then this is that uh, kind of renders this uh, yellow with rocks, and then you have uh, basically a a very high contrast Jetta. So the first thing that you're seeing is it's basically like purple and yellow, which is uh, of course a complement. So it's very you know complements again opposite on the color wheel. They tend to make each other more vivid, more vibrant, which is why you use them. Um, uh, Capcom has always been very good at this. So uh, in this case, we the one thing they're doing is they're also using a very uh, vibrant color in the first place, like yellow with the purple on top of it. So it's a very bold uh, you know screen filling thing. So. Um, Gonna move on to like we obviously go through a number of characters uh, that have kind of each their own. <clears throat> if you if you look at them, they each kind of have their own color sphere to some degree. Uh, Bishamon's got red, you know. John Talbain's got blue, you know that kind of thing. Uh, but what's important is you move on to showing Lilith, and okay, the the sequence that I want to draw everyone's attention to that is super smart in the way that they do it is when uh, when it shows Morgan and then it kind of. It, it turns a bit to show Lilith. Uh, so this, this is a whole sequence because it actually blends into showing Dimitri. Uh, so the first thing, right, is you have Morgan and Lilith. Uh, Morgan has green hair. Um, Lilith has purple hair. Uh, and they, they have kind of wings uh, on their head, right? But uh, Lilith's are red. Um, so what you're basically having right there is a... Uh, it's a, a split complement, basically. So you have the uh, the green and the uh, the green and the purple along with the red. So uh, the red is opposite the color wheel of, of green uh, that makes it kind of stand out a little bit, right? So here's the impressive part, is that actually transitions to a screen by kind of creating like a, a positive negative effect um, moving over to uh, this like very high-level shot of Dimitri, where he's on red, 
uh, he's kind of shaded in blues, but then his offhand in the background is shaded in green. Um, so what's really impressive here is again, this is the this is a split complement. Uh, again, like what you're basically doing is you're taking one color and then on the opposite end of the color wheel, you're splitting from the complement. Uh, and again, this is really done to improve vibrancy. But what's really smart here is they they could have just left uh, this be like blue and red, right? Um, blue and red are, are not complements. They are are generally speaking uh, on roughly the same like roughly the same quadrant of the color wheel. Uh, so it's not quite as vibrant to put them together. Uh, but what I really like here is that little bit of green that, that they pop in there. So green and red are complements. Most people associate them with Christmas, but uh, that's part of what makes it feel more vibrant. So combining them together, like having a bit of that complement is also like a focal point design. Like it draws your eye to the, uh, like through that kind of black area straight to his arm. Otherwise you wouldn't really know what to look at. Um, but that's something that the, like, and if you're looking at the color wheel, uh, obviously there's various shades of these colors and it always kind of goes up and down uh, between uh, like which shade of which color you're talking about. But the fact that they, they basically have uh, that kind of split complement against it uh, is what really makes the, like, so everything is hitting you uh, in a really powerful way. It's basically, turning the, the complement on the color wheel left and right is what's happening, which is, uh, I feel like I might need to do an animation for Twitter to kind of show what that looks like, because it's basically the, the uh, basically what it is is the green and red and purple, um, and then the, the green, red, and blue is shifting back and forth on that side of the color wheel. Um, I'm going to post it in our, uh, our own chat that, uh, but like generally speaking, uh, that's the part that's going on. Of course, then we shift from that uh, back into the the kind of Jetta, the uh, purple yellow. I mean, a very simple split complement. Um, or I'm sorry, uh, that, that's a standard complement, not a split complement. And then uh, another thing is we have a, a BB hood thing that happens after that, which uh, again is doing some really smart stuff. Um, sorry, go ahead. What were you gonna say? No, 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 oh, no, please no. go on. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. Sorry. So, okay. So, what's happening with uh, with the BB hood is, is her jumping uh, with her red cloak across a purple background, and uh, or or violet if you prefer. And what's happening here is that's actually uh, an analogous color scheme. So it's basically taking uh, red, purple, and pink, which is all uh, sitting together on the color wheel. And uh, this is something that I really love about. Um, Dark Stalkers at Capcom openings is they sneak in all the colors because you, you see that she's got a little bit of her arm sticking out that's got her shirt underneath which is pink on top of the red and then on top of the purple and the reason she pops out on top of it is because her skin, her blonde hair and the muzzle flash are yellow which is the complement of purple we just talked about um, so like the, uh -huh. the they're really doing a very good job uh, and the, so what, what happens very often with these, and the reason it's impressive is, obviously you can't just put all these colors into a composition and expect them to work together. But what they have done is they make sure that um, if you look at like certain portions of the screen, you'll notice that they control how the colors layer on top of each other, which is super cool. So like the cloak, 
her arm and the backgrounds will always form that nice um, analogous color scheme with the, the pink, red, and purple. Uh, but then, like, kind of on top of that, where the focal point is, they're mainly getting you to look at the, the yellows and on top of the purple. So again, makes it very vibrant, makes it very easy to focus on the action, um, which is, you know, when you're moving stuff around is, is uh, pretty powerful. So like, they've just hit you with a bunch of different compliments, getting you moving between, uh, you know, very bold focal points, which just makes it very easy to follow that motion across the screen uh, and into transitions. And then of course, like they show you something like uh, QB, which again is actually using a much more subtle uh, it's using like a monochromatic where she's kind of coming up against the sunrise. But again, you see it's got basically the yellow and purple uh, really layering in on the, mm. that, that complement that they're using. QB is almost entirely shrouded in like uh, like orange and purple, yellow and purple. And then we go back to Jetta, um, you know, and then it kind of, it kind of goes into the, the final portion, which is got a lot more color theory going on that I think is going to be harder to break down. But I think the, the genius thing about this is the Yellow and purple is actually a through line, and that's why they keep going back and forth to Jetta. Because basically, what's happening is you're kind of getting snippets of uh, Jetta rising out of out of this water. Uh, so that's that's pretty much the the end of it. Um, obviously, there's the the end of it has a lot more kind of colors going on, but I think that's the part that's really brilliant. And then the, you can see it in other Dark Soccer's opening as well. They're really good at using the colors together. They're not doing a lot. There's not a lot of gradients. There's not a lot of modeling. Generally speaking, very flat color. Um, but that I think that's part of why the action feels so good. It's so easy to follow. Transitions feel so good. Uh, so when you watch it in motion, uh, it, it's one of those things where it's kind of like, why is it so easy to follow what's going on? Why does it feel so you know imposing on me? And that's basically what they're doing is... Uh, uh, going kind of back and forth between more subtle, uh, like triple color color schemes and single double color complement color schemes, so that you're kind of always uh, jumping between stimulus that's very high and very low. So anyway, that's my spiel. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Well done. Yeah. We need a, we need a, we need yeah. an applause. Um, applause. I know, right? Yeah. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was wonderful, man. Yeah, that was perfect. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, that was great because. Something completely different. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it's great. I love the way that even in the logo itself, like, it has the crown yeah. on it. Like, yeah. with the vampire saying, Lord of the Vampire. Yeah. It's like, like the best version of the game. Like, it's like the king or queen, but it's like the royal version. Like, yeah. yeah, it's super interesting to think about. So regal. Yeah, so so much care went into the culmination of this intro that is like reflective of the culmination of work that went into the vampire series. Yeah. Uh and it it it, it basically it encapsulates it. And uh I mean for an intro to be so short but to be so impactful and to have so many things uh going on with it, you could tell that they they felt the need to create an, an intro that like embodied that, you know, like mm -hmm. it's a, and, and, and again, I mean, to me, you know, I, I feel like it's uh, a collective of a series and, you know, I think that instinctively they knew, all right, this is probably going to be the last game we make for a while within the vampire series, if not the last one. 
and uh, we really want to have that feeling be there in a way that's you know not necessarily sad for like the player or the person who likes the series but just to know that like we've reached a point where we have expressed what we wanted to express uh, with this series so it makes it makes a lot of sense that this intro is as impactful as it is oh Adam you pointed out something interesting oh, oh okay so yeah we got um if you were following along with us whilst you're watching that intro, you'll see near the end portion there is a triangle that flashes up on screen and then within it has an eye. And I'm sure if you've been on the internet for any period of time, you'll know the many memes that are surrounding the Illuminati. Ooh, very scary. But uh, yeah, it's very cool just the fact that like they put this in here and then they worked it into the actual intro itself in such a in such a genuine way, if that makes sense. Like they've got the flashing lights, they've got the sort of formation of the triangle triangular shape itself. But if you actually have a look, um, I'll sh I'm sure Richmond can post this up. But there are drops of, of bright red blood on the actual like insignia of the eye itself, and not only just like you know singular drops, like multiple tiny little like splatters and splotches of blood. It's just like wow, this is amazing. Like it feels like this is being almost you know engulfed and enveloped by the blood red all around it. And then really in an interesting turn, it inverts so that in so the actual triangular shape itself becomes of try to become the triangle becomes a, a red sort of like pyramid shape. And then all of the outside area is not red anymore, so it's a really, really interesting thing. Also, one other thing which I just noticed right, right now, if you sort of, um, if you do end up having a look and you do see some of the actual shapes and colours, there is a red, not red, there's a round shape that is behind the actual triangle itself, and that reminds me of something very Iraqi-like, right? It's just like when you're looking at, um, when you're looking at what's the character's name again? It's the Jojo-esque um, fashion with the, with the belt and with the, the triangles and the colors and the, um, the purple and the, the gold. It's very, very interesting to look at. I forget the name. I forget the, um, forget the name of the specific kind of like style of the shape that I'm, that I'm trying to think of right now. But like it's basically on, um, on the belt. It's basically on the belt of the of Jo of Jojo of the uh, of the Jojo's bizarre adventure main character. They do like with the hat and stuff. Oh. Yeah, uh, Jotaro. That's it. Yeah, oh. it's it's really interesting to think about. Oh, there there's a name for that. That that triangle I mean, like, I, I think, pattern. I, I've seen it. I, I'm trying. I'm looking for it feverishly now. I'm, I can't remember the name, but I've seen that pattern like so many times, like in life. Yeah. Because um, I'm not sure if it's African or not, but I've seen it like just. In, in life on like family members clothing I've seen it a lot like I've seen it a mm. bunch of times it's, it's everywhere you see it like a lot yeah yeah his belt's anyway, uh, yeah. purple and yellow right yep yeah, oh and then also so. green and oh my god his, his, his belt is vampire savior that's <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> yeah. like <laughs> so, yeah, he has yeah. a belt on just completely random thing that I yeah. just wrote, saw right now. I, yeah, he has two belts on and they have got that same kind of like pyramid, pyramid shape. Yeah. I I just want to add like, uh, it just occurred to me watching this intro, um, just, you know, you have Jetta rising up, he's himself very triangular and his shape recalls that of a pyramid. And then you have the, you know, Illuminati Freemason sign. I think they call it the, um, what is it called? The Eye of Providence. That That's on the yeah. dollar bill in the U.S. 
it is everything uh, is linked everything. yes <laughs> yes and then you know you have the pyramid in uh red thirst and then just sort of this idea of towers you have the tower of arrogance you know mm -hmm. it kind of links yeah. everything together so the tower of arrogance it could be it could be you know humanity right it could be an actual skyscraper it, it, it's also jetta jetta is like incredibly arrogant what he's doing is yep incredibly arrogant he wants to like, take every soul in the universe put it in a jar and start a new one you know because the old one's not good enough he wants to make a better one like it, yeah this intro brings it all together um i'll say one more thing about the intro uh so the sort of the the the, the running theme of it is you get glimpses of jetta as it's starting up right like you, you see his hands right you see all his parts separately, and then you see him come together as a whole at the end. And um, I, I, this is just a, a far-fetched theory, but I think this might have influenced the design of Exodia in uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. You know, so so Exodia is like uh, early on in the Yu-Gi-Oh comics. That's a and, really good point. And manga, um, the manga and the anime. Um, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh is the Shonen Jump series about this kid who plays games and they uh, card games is what it eventually became and uh he there's this uh entity called exodia where you have to put um you know like was it five or six different cards into play you have to put one body part five, at a time. Five cards. yeah five cards. and then they all come together and um it's it's very similar the way he's laid out is very similar to this intro like the pose is similar and then the design of exodia himself is really similar to an, an Acherus. And on top of that, just the dates line up because um, I think uh, this game came out in, um, I want to say it was June 1997, I think. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me fact check that. Uh, yeah, Vampire Savior came out in June 1997, and then Exodia made its first appearance in Shonen Jump uh, number three. 31 1997 which if you do the math is probably september 1997 so a couple months after Damn. that yeah <laughs> i think that's just enough time for the artist to to you know head over to the arcade excitedly experience this new capcom game and then like uh you know, absorb it and put it back into their own work <laughs> yeah yeah that's so wild to think about yeah. But then again, like it, it, it makes sense. Like if you're interested in, you know, like the, if you're interested in Yu-Gi-Oh at all, or even, or even if you're, if you're working at that time for the company that ends up like making these card games, of course you're gonna end up playing fighting games. Of course you're gonna end up playing some kind of, you know, arcade game. You're gonna be interested in that general sphere of entertainment. So yeah, it's yeah. very probable. Yep. Oh man, and uh, you know that's 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 what all of us are doing, right? When we we. Mm -hmm create our own work we're, we're, we're synthesizing all the stuff that we love and trying to you know doing something new and personal with it yeah <sighs> this is true all it's right. something that you never really think about but it, yeah it's it's really um it's so cool that we get to live in this time and that we get to experience so many different forms of media that we've been interested in for ages and in a new way and in a different way and we get to talk about it yeah it's, it's super cool okay Oh, you know what? You know so, what? Exodia is Exodia like powerful, or is it an automatic win? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like a, a win. in Yu-Gi-Oh, automatic win. Yes, yeah. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Okay, 
basically if you're able to put down all of the uh, all the cards you basically win the you, you win the game <laughs> yeah you know what I just realized the the five of us right now we're 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 like uh, each piece of exodia <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> spread out across five different time zones come together <laughs> oh, yeah. to talk to you about uh dark stalkers for hours and hours <laughs> And we fused and we came together and we closed it out. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we did it, guys. We did it. And we and we won automatically. Yeah. Automatic win condition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You two listener are a victor alongside all of us. Over <laughs> Yugi. Our art eater, the forbidden knowledge. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Mic drop. <laughs> I love how we went from from oh we have to re-record this this podcast to basically conspiracy theories with uh, you know Illuminatis leading Exodia mm. leading to us. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of things like have changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, that that was super fun. Um, I think uh, I think we will uh, close stuff out now, right? Yeah. All right, so. Um, Thank you so much for listening to Art Eater podcast number, uh, what was this one, 23, even though we're recording from the future. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Richmond. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Richmond underscore Lee. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-D underscore L-E-E. And you can follow the Art Eater podcast at Art Eater podcast on Twitter. Um, and uh, hopefully we're on whatever platform you like to listen to podcasts on. Um, if we happen to miss one, you know, send us a line. Let us know. We'll, we'll get it down there. Um, if you want to go back, catch up on the old podcast, a really good way to do that is just go to uh, arteater.com. That's A-R-T-E-A-T-E-R.com. Uh, just click on the podcast section. You can catch up on all the old podcasts. And, um, yeah, uh, everyone else, just please let everyone know how uh, the, the listeners can keep, keep track of you outside of this podcast. All right, I'll go first. Uh, you know, this is James Stanley once again. Uh, I my Twitter is beefy underscore kunoichi. It's b double e f y underscore k u n o i c h i. And I basically talk about food, games, and animation that I like, and uh, actually show a lot of my work in progress for a project I'm working on called Part Time Shuffle, uh, which at some point will be something you can hit buttons to. Uh, you will see some progress of that as well as a, a little segment that I have uh, on Twitter called Lunch Break Hot Takes where uh, you know, oftentimes I'm talking a lot about uh, games that I love, kind of similar to what this is, but uh, just a whole bunch of my sauce all over it. So if you're into that, you know, you can, you can follow me there. Of course, of course. But yeah, if you're into that kind of thing, you know, if you, you like to see the, the type of art that I create and uh, the projects that I'm working on, you'll see a little bit of that stuff there as well. Uh, but yeah, that's the best place to find me and uh, all the things that encompass who I am is Twitter. All right. Okay, I'll go next then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm Thomas. You can follow me on Twitter at 
Thomas Horus, T-H-O-M-A-S-O-R-U-S. I mostly uh, post about, uh, I mostly retweet art that Adam already retweeted. <laughs> Basically, I'm like a filter of Adam tweets. And uh, I post about web development and art and comics and uh, everything I like. So you can follow there. Sean? Oh, and I'm, uh, I'm Sean. I'm always here. Uh, you can follow me at, uh, at Dvorsk, D-A-B-R-S-K. Uh, I, uh, if you're into things like uh, PC gaming, uh, I uh, lead design and brand at, uh, at NZXT. We're a PC gaming company. Or if you're in the UK or Canada, we're NZXT. Um, either way, uh, I also talk a lot about games, uh, not surprisingly, and uh, I occasionally write about uh, interfaces and um, other types of user experience things. Uh, more, usually it's just gushing on people doing a good job and then me re retweeting Adam and uh, Richman and James. <laughs> okay, so up everybody. Um, yeah, Adam here. Uh, again, independent uh, game developer from Manchester, England. I'm a game level design pixel artist. I also talk a lot about Taekwondo. I'm a Taekwondo fighter. Uh, so yeah, if you had fun listening to this and if you enjoyed our little chat back here, you can go ahead and follow me on Twitter as at A-J-M-A-T-T-I-S. So A-J-M, all caps, then A-T-T-I-S. I go by A-J or Adam. You can call me either. They're pretty cool uh, names. Uh, so I chat about all kinds of topics, games, music. I retweet a whole lot about, as these guys have mentioned. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I talk about my life, my fights, my projects, and more. And this year is 20 is 2021. I'm gonna date this, but I'm just gonna say a lot of cool stuff's coming for real. And I hope that I can get as many people as I can to be interested, so I can end up sharing some pretty cool stuff with people, get myself and other people hyped. So thanks for everyone listening, and uh, yeah, I hope to be back once again. And I'll see you all on the internet. Stay safe out there. All right, thanks everyone. It's always such a pleasure to uh, record with you all. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. Cool. Thank Always you. a pleasure.